smut loving, no, mafia loving smut syndicators. Woo! This is why I need Taylor back on the show, even though I love having Lex Kelly on. (laughs) Whoa, whoa. I just need Taylor to do these introductions. She's probably listening and rolling her eyes at me right now, but I gave it my best shot. There's a reason why Taylor does these introductions. Um, Welcome back to Let's Talk About Smut. Uh, I'm your host, Hallie. If you're new here, um, Taylor is out on maternity leave. She just had her little cute-ass little baby. And she is bonding with her. So she's going to be out for a couple of weeks. But that means we get my lovely guest host this season, Lex Kelly at The Well Red Lex. Hey, Lex. Hey. How's it going? Great. Just happy to be here as your, your second choice. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. I didn't mean it like that. Uh, this is why I need Taylor. Just look at me dead in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Way to make you feel welcomed on the show. <laughs> Happy to be here. At least I am. Hope so. Um, anyways, if you haven't listened to our past episodes, uh, Lex has been on. We did uh, Throne of Glass and we've done Akatar. So if you haven't listened to those, you probably Put should. in no work whatsoever. Just real easy things we've done. Real yeah, simple. Basically, we're just taking series. out all these series. <clears throat> um, which today leads us to what we're going to be covering today, which is... The Dark Birth series by the Ooh. one and only Runix. Um, uh, yes. Lex and I started buddy reading and we got on this like whole mafia kick. And then she told me about one of her favorite series, which is The Dark Verse. And she was like, yes. you gotta read it. And gotta I'd seen it, it before. So I was like, cool, let me read it. Um, devoured it. Devoured it's, it. It's very addicting. It's my number one recommended read and the one that I get like the most positive feedback on when I recommend it to you like I've I feel like I've never had someone come back to me and be like nah, I tried it wasn't for me like no it's always like oh my god Tristan <laughs> Tristan Kane then you get Dante Tristan. and then just like I love mafia romance but like there's like a scale to mafia romance like some is just like you get a yes. little bit of violence and then you can like throw in those like fun tropes like marriage of convenience or like whatever yeah. you want to do it's almost I, like having it be a mafia romance allows you to do like all these crazy things, kind of like how like a billionaire romance, like you don't have to explain anything because like, oh, he's a billionaire. That's why they're always on a private jet. It's like yes. the same thing, but it's all the things. It's like, I can kill anybody. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. Oh, mafia romance yes. explains it all. That's why I love it. You can get like as gritty as you want, as dark as you want, or you don't have to. You can keep it on the yeah. lighter scale. Yeah. Uh, dark verse. But this is so much more. So much So more. much more. The yeah. background plot going on, it's like a movie. Yeah. It's it totally, it's like, um, what are the other ones you like? Like the psychological thriller or like the- By Trisha Is that Wolf. what it is? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean like that that genre, it's got a very much like this mystery aspect going yes. on. Which is why I had pretty much a murder board going on while I was <laughs> so reading fun. these. And then um, I had caught up uh, right before she released um, the last one, The Annihilator. So mm-hmm. we read that one together. And Lex and I- And we had thought that was going to be the last book of the series, originally. It's plot not. twist? It's not. It's not. One more. We have it's one syndicator. more, the final one. Um, and so we thought we had all these like murder boards going and trying to figure out what's going to happen in the last book. Yeah. So 
I was like, you know what? Let's just do it on the podcast because the series is huge. So many of you guys on Bookstagram have read it and you love it. So we are going to go through the books and talk about the little nuggets of information that we get along the way. And oh, so spoiler warning. <laughs> spoiler warning. Always. on out. Do yeah. not listen to this if you have not read the entire series that's out. Yeah, um, exactly. We are going to be going through all the books um, and mainly just connecting the dots. Uh, the way that she wrote this series is, I don't know how she herself kept up with it. <laughs> no. I don't know how. It's impressive. Um, there's different timelines. The books like kind of inter weave with each other they kind of have like these little crossovers you have people that are named like a million different things that you have to connect with the same person <laughs> um, so we're gonna be doing all that today um and then of course we are a smut podcast so we're gonna be talking about some of our favorite spicy scenes because there are a lot there's so many and it's so good and it's so hard to choose i can't choose and some of it is so hot that it's like like there are some scenes that were so hot there was like not even like full on like they had sex and it was still just like holy crap the steam like, factor Dante's mouth oh my god that man <laughs> here's okay so here's the thing so I'm gonna like the order first you have the predator um and the reaper is second those two books focus on Tristan and Marana then you have Dante's book which is the emperor it's Dante and Amara which you're still getting Tristan and Marana in that but it's from Dante and Amara's point of view. Yes. Um, which something I, I realized, which I hadn't really thought about before, was that the first two books are only are front are in like a third person point of view. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's but it's like or it's from Marana's point of view, I guess. But in third so, person. Yeah, but third person. So like which was kind of smart, I think, because then even though it's not technically in Tristan's point of view, you kind of get his point of view. Well, because then in the set and then in the Emperor, you get labeled chapters. And that's yeah. how the rest of the series goes from there on out. The rest of the next several books label the chapter of like who it's still third person, but it's like showing you like who we're following over because the characters aren't always together. So I yeah. like that. Um but all the other to like so at first I was like, Oh, I wish that had been how the other two are, but the thing about it is though with Tristan, he just He's like the one that says the most without saying anything. I think it made sense. Yes. Like, so like, this is the thing about Runix is like, in the moment you like have a thought like, oh, maybe I would have done this different. And then you're like, wait, no, like she knows what she's doing. She the has amount of times we were reading these books and I was like, what the hell? Like, why would she do this to me? Why is the story going this way? <laughs> and then we would end it, especially the yep. Annihilator. I remember Ugh. vividly the Annihilator did this for you and I. And we yes. got to the end of the Annihilator and we were like, screw everything I said. She knows exactly what yep. she's doing. I trust her with my life. Yep. Great. Loved it. Support all of her decisions. Take back everything I said. <laughs> Take back everything I said. I should never have questioned her. How dare How I? How dare I? Yes, I know. I just like freaking like bow down, dude. She's freaking queen of like, of, me, of just taking you on the roller coaster too. And I feel like it's all freaking intentional. And I it make, to me, it's like there are moments when I'm reading the series because I've reread especially the first two books so many times the reaper is my go-to comfort read of the series which actually now because i just reread the emperor like to like an extreme where I, my first book this is the first time i've ever done this i what is this called annotated it you annotated yes. and tapped 
Look at I you. don't annotate. I don't like, it's too much for my brain. It feels like math. So I just never really do that. Um, but I did do it in this I one. I only do that on rereads. Yeah, I, it would have been. I don't think I could ever do it time. just like going in first time. No. And that was a reread. But so then I was like, oh, I forgot. What I was going to say is though there were times when I read it that I'm like, did she know that she was going to do this? Like, or there were times that I'm like, oh, maybe she just like thought of this on the way. But then when you like really get into it again, you're like, oh no, she freaking knew exactly what she's doing. She like, had to how is this possible? Like, it's so mind And maybe, maybe not even like, maybe Tristan and Marana, maybe not like fully, but I think subconsciously she knew. I think she knew it made sense to not give Tristan a strong point of view because what is he going to say? Like, cause he, he's a man of very few words. hundred percent. And like, there, there are times like in the, in, was it the emperor or the finisher? The emperor, when he like says something, when he's like, his, he's talking to them and it's like a paragraph. And I literally thought like, that's like the most he's ever said. Like, you know, he's given an explanation about something and I'm like, oh, wow. Like that was the most Tristan's ever talked. And you can see that like growth. So the first two books are Tristan and Marana. The third book is, is Dante and Amara. The fourth book, which is The Finisher, is um, Zephyr and Alpha. And then the fifth book is um, The Annihilator. And we have Lila and the Shadow Man, who we finally find out who he is, which I feel like I'm not going to say it yet. Like, we'll we'll get there. So I haven't read Gothicana. I did order it, though, to read for, like, the spooky season coming up. Um, yes. So Dark Birds is the first time I've read Runix. But what I liked about this series as a whole is that I think as a whole, it showed so many different like facets of her writing. Like you, she can write like she did with Tristan, like those characters, Tristan, who yeah. is more quiet, but she can fill that book with so much emotion She's like the queen of the character arc. Yes. And then you get to Dante, who has no problem communicating <laughs> at all. And no, he sure doesn't. you have a whole new, uh, like, little trope there with, like, friends to lovers and, and that trauma. She also writes trauma very, very well, I think. Um, Thank you. And then, like, each book is, like, a different little layer of her writing. And they're all in the same series. But they are all very different, I feel like. Um, which I think just, it just shows her work and how good she is yeah. as a writer. It's like each book feels is like unique in its own, but then, and, but you still get some of those things that like, you still get everything you love about her writing, the emotion, like I said, the character arc, the story arc, the romance arc, like there's all of these arcs happening and you're seeing the development and she, she does certain things to show you like the change. So like with Tristan and Marana, you see as he, for me, the metaphor, even like, well, I guess so in the Reaper you see, or the Predator you see, it's the beginning, obviously. It's the shortest book and it's the beginning of everything. And so yeah. it takes a while to get there, but so, which makes even more sense why they get two books. You really need those two books. Um, and so you see them having sex, like only this certain way and like, yeah. it, but it means something more than that. It's not just like, oh, they only have sex from behind. Like it means so much there's I more like to how it she that. took her time with it. She takes her time with it in such the right way. She's not rushed to like make what I love is that she writes the story, the way the story demands to be written. Not the way she thinks like the reader might get like 
or what does the reader want? Because we think we want certain things, right? Like we want instant gratification. We want sex in chapter two. Like we think we want all these things, but the truth is what really is satisfying is this. Like this is truly satisfying. And to that extent, I think she, she writes it to what, like she's telling the story that needs to be told, not a story that we want necessarily, even though it ends up being the same thing. Like this is what I want. I just think I want something else. I agree. I agree. I totally agree. Um, so like you said, the Predator and the Reaper are Tristan and Marana. I'm going to kind of loop them together in the sense of like the information that we get from these two books. Yep. Um, Makes sense. It is, like you said, especially the Predator. Um, it's like a dip your toe in kind of book. Like you're just getting your feet wet with the series. Um, you actually don't even get introduced into the syndicate, the big, the big fish mm-hmm. out there until book two. Um but what you learn about in book one is this thing called the Alliance. Um, yes. It's the prologue of book one. And it talks about these two rival mafia families, the Moronis and the Vitalios. They formed this Alliance back in like 1985. I'm just going to set the scene for you here. Um, basically they're at war with each other all the time. Lorenzo Moroni is like, you know what? There is a better way for us to be spending our time and to both make more money. And Lorenzo introduces the idea of them getting into the skin trade, the flesh trade, AKA child sex trafficking, among other things that they do. Um, and they decide to keep this trade a secret to the world. The world's only going to know if they are going to continue doing what they've been doing, which is drugs and not drugs, alcohol and guns, I think. So they form this alliance. And at the end of this alliance for they leave Lorenzo introduces two girls, the age of eight, in the trunk of his car. Here's one of my questions. <laughs> I Who the hell are they? <laughs> yeah, like, I want to know if, and this is till the end of the Annihilator, we still don't get answers to this. So I have two thoughts. Are we going to know who these girls were and are they important? Or was it just something in the scene to signify what this trade was going to be? Yeah, because obviously one of them wasn't the fake Marana Vitalio because, or one of them wasn't the real Marana Vitalio yeah. because he, her dad's there. So obviously it wasn't him. Right. She was, she it was like just born, I think, like, or if that. Okay. Because yeah, this is back true. in 1985. Yes. So this is like the beginning. So then I don't know if these girls actually really matter or again, it was just something in the scene to tell you what this trade was. Cause we don't, they don't call it the flesh trade in this actual prologue. They just talk about this new trade they were going to do. And then he introduces these two little girls in the back of his car. So just something to think about as we move forward, are we going to know who these two girls are or was it just something to signify what this trade was that we later come mm-hmm. to know is the flesh trade? Yes. Um, book one. We have Marana, who is a very, very smart girl. She has a super high IQ. She is like a freaking internet hacker. Like she is yeah, a badass, basically. <laughs> yeah, she is. Hacking um, into all the things, find out anything. All the she things. can do all the things on the computer. Yeah. She is the daughter of Gabriel Vitalio. Um, who her- is the head of the, the shadow port. outfit shadow port okay i always get those two the vitalios yeah. are shadow port the maronis are the tenenbrae outfit okay um 
we have this great opening scene, which I think hooked me from the beginning because she's basically at the enemy's house <laughs> at the Maroni's at a party with a wig on, like master of disguise that she is. Gets in this party. She's on the hunt for Tristan Kane because she thinks Tristan Kane, who is, I guess, he's portrayed to the world as like a second son to Lorenzo Moroni. Um, his dad, like an adopted son. Yeah, like an adopted son. The world thinks he's very close with his family. He may one day take over instead of his own son Dante. We know because we've read the series. That's not true. Not in my case. Right, but she thinks he's like up there, a big dog. She thinks that Tristan Kane has stolen her <laughs> codes that she wrote. Her ex-boyfriend dared her to write the most like insane set of codes that could do the most damage in the world. And she admits she probably shouldn't have done it. But the he was girl, her first boyfriend. Yeah, he <laughs> was her first boyfriend, you know, and she said, you know, I just can't back down from a dare. And I think anyone who's good at like a genius at what they do, it's almost like a test for herself, right? Like she wants to know how yeah. good, like, let me see if I can do this. So she writes these codes. The codes get stolen by her ex-boyfriend who made her write them. She tracks it down. It all comes back to Tristan Kane. That's why she's here at this party. She's going to go kill him and get the codes back. <laughs> yep. Hunts his ass down in a room. We start Somehow off. sneaks into a mafia party and into the actual mansion. The yeah. house. And into his room. In the like house. The most deadly. He's nicknamed the Predator. Like, he is like, she the preys on like, the Predator. The like, world. that's how badass she is. And I don't think she gets enough credit in this initial scene. Like, for just even, even though he obviously, like, catches her. But, like, no one else did. The fact that she got yeah. that far. And I think it's in either the Reaper or the Emperor. Like, Dante makes a makes a like a comment of like there's no way they could get in here and she's like well I did <laughs> he's like oh, and he's yeah. like wait what and that's like <laughs> the third book like it's yeah. like a secret like Tristan never even told him and he's just like wait what do you mean he's stuck in my house wait you got in and she's like oh yeah totally like <laughs> super easy just gonna be hot in a blonde wig yes and so she sets this scene immediately that just gripped me because you have this epic I'm gonna call it a meet cute it's not, it's not, it's not a meet cute, but I'm going to call it an, an epic mafia meet cute. A mafia meet cute. Yes, exactly. She sneaks up on this guy, the predator himself, holds him at knife point and is like, give me the codes. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? This whole scene, the sexual tension is here. Okay. It's here. because she doesn't know everything he knows, which is literally everything about her. He knows everything everything about you and I love doing that reread where I had that information and then me too you read it in a whole different light um yes. even to where at the end toward the scene again we're not going to break down everything but towards the end of the scene he ends up keeping her hidden like the outfit soldiers end up coming to check on him because they're they know that something has gone awry because she because she knocks someone out he knocks <laughs> someone out with the vase so yeah <laughs> they know something is awry and he hides her from them he doesn't sell her out and he ends up telling her to leave and he ends up saying how to leave too, how to leave, how to get out of these tunnels. And he's like, you owe me. I'm no gentleman to give you a free pass. You were in my debt and I'll get it one day. It's not even about that scene. He's talking about all the history. Like that is yeah. crazy. And the first time I read it, I was like, I will be in your debt. I will do whatever you want. 
immediately yes immediately yes oh my god when he uses that knife to pinpoint all of the ways he could kill her i thought it was so romantic i was like absolutely why not what when he sees her um the next time after this he goes to her her place sneaks into her mansion comes climbs the wall into her room and he tells her i don't know if it was in the scene but i think it's around here he tells her i like you better blonde because she was wearing a blonde wig the night he dead. met her, which I was she's a naturally brunette. I was like, you freaking asshole. Why is this so hot? No, I <laughs> love an asshole. Like, not yeah, like, don't be mean not me. like that. But I, <laughs> I love a man that's mean to me, okay? I love the sass. I just love it. And guess what? So does Marana, because this is where our love story starts with them too. Um, basically, as the book goes on, we discover someone's trying to frame Tristan using these codes. Tristan doesn't have the codes. No one has the codes that they know, but they're just setting it up. And that's kind of where this whole book goes. They're just trying to figure out who's setting them up. That's the predator pretty much is like, that's yeah, the predator, then, pretty much. Except um, for also they bang in a bathroom, which is, Oh my God. The bathroom scene. Okay. So let's just talk about it. Cause that is like the scene I think of that book. Okay, so the bathroom and the window. Oh, I mean, the window's window, not sex, but like the scenes but from the still. book. Like the, yeah. Okay, so they're at Crimson, a restaurant in Shadowport. Marana's there with her dad and like his whole outfit. Tristan and Dante are there like chilling in a corner. It's like a and neutral had, zone for the mafia. Yeah. They can both be they there, have, but there's tension. There's tension and they've had their interactions up to this point trying to get these codes back um and they hate each other just to be clear they They absolutely hate each other so much and basically she goes to the bathroom and tristan shows up in the bathroom and basically is like you got one second to decide am i banging you on this counter to get it out of our system right like there's tension and we hate each other like you just let's just fuck it out or are you going to, like, leave because, like, you know, your bodyguards are outside the door. Call them in, you know, kind of thing. Obviously, she pices the wiser choice, which is let him bang her on the, the bathroom counter. <laughs> Thank God. Um, I knew she was my type of girl. I knew it. Right. But this is where you kind of see, like, the, the, the relationship starts. So he bangs her. Literally, like, it's pointed out. He touches her nowhere except for the back of her neck to hold her in place and where the P is meeting the V. Like, that's it. Um, and then the <sighs> next time that they, I know. Jesus, and that's kind of she uses like their sex as it progresses through these two books to like indicate how their relationship is changing like because they, they don't kiss and they don't touch anywhere but where they're having sex and then they slowly like start having sex like face to face like it's like this whole you know I what know. I love when authors <clears throat> use smut scenes for a purpose besides just a hot moment in a book and I think that goes back right. to your point of what you said of she wrote the story that maybe we didn't know we wanted but we needed. And this is an example of that. I love when sex scenes add something to the overarching, whether it's the character arc, whether it's relationship arc. Mm -hmm. I like when there's like a double meaning in that sex scene. A hundred percent. Cause she, even when they're having sex, she's still building. Okay. So, you know, like in a slow burn, they're like building, 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 and you're just waiting for that dam to break. Even though they're having sex, she's still, it's still a slow burn because he like, it's not, it's not what exactly you want. Like it's so, it's still so cold, but hot at the same time. Yes. 
And Marana's like, if this fool does not touch my nipples and like, <laughs> she like just now, wants her nipples touched. That's she all really she does. wants. I wanted to ask. She says, don't put your mouth anywhere near me. Like they, when they're in the bathroom, the first time they hook up. And he doesn't. Or he said I wasn't planning to or whatever. But do you think that's why he doesn't for so long? Or do you think it doesn't matter? No, I think it's because of his past with her. I think it's just. Okay, so it's like she said it to just to be kind of like get a rise out of him. But he was kind of like already like just going to do the bare minimum. No, I think he already was going to like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Which that tracks. I feel like like he's the kind of guy that would be like, no, kissing on the mouth. <laughs> no, it does. I mean, I, to me, yes. And I think it was also like, I think for that moment, what we know now about Tristan in his past with Marana, that was almost, I think that was probably one of the hardest things he's done at that point because in the amount of yeah. shame he probably felt after that, like in a moment of weakness. It's a very of, mixed like, thing, yeah how dare how could I because we talked about this uh in our text messages and things but like I think Tristan we talked about how there's such a thin line between love and hate and Tristan always thought Mm -hmm. he hated her um and it isn't until later in the reaper with her dad actually that her real dad is like he wouldn't know because of the world he grew up in but like I always knew he loved you basically is what he says and I love that theme throughout Tristan and Marana's entire relationship is this theme of their love and hate is so can be so similar and yeah that is what I think Tristan's purpose in this book is to show and one of the scenes that I love that I feel like is kind of a minor scene is when they have like they both have an apartment there but when we say apartment I mean like they have an entire floor of like a skyscraper they own the skyscraper like they're in the mafia okay they're billionaires yeah exactly just accepted so expansive beautiful Marana shows up here to give a flash drive with some information they need while they're all trying to track down these codes and working together. Her tires get slit um, on her baby, she, which is somebody her tries to kill her. Yeah, so she which has we to know is the night syndicate night. at this point. The syndicate's after her. All right, we didn't know this, but because she's digging around trying to find these codes, like doing all the stuff, she doesn't really know what she's digging into. None of them do. The three of them don't have any idea about the alliance. They have no idea about any of the skin trade stuff going on. So they don't realize that when they're digging for these codes that they're starting to touch into this stuff with like this bigger being the syndicate. We don't know any of this. They don't know any of this. Is this this. also this after stuff her dad pushes her down the stairs? No, this okay. is before okay. all, this is before okay. even the bathroom. That's right, that's right. Um, so she basically has to stay the night because, which this is like one of the things where I'm like, okay, it's such a simple answer. Like, this is why authors, like, don't need to stress so hard about all these little, like, tiny, like, what we perceive as potholes. She's like, well, I'll just call a cab. He's like, cabs don't come here. And she's like, of course they don't. But, like, also, like, well, why don't they? <laughs> but they just don't. <laughs> so we'll just accept it. I don't care why they don't come as long as Ron is going to stay the It's night a security the risk. That's why. Right. Okay, perfect. Whatever the reason is, I'm glad because that means Marana has to spend the night there. I, I don't know that for sure. I'm just, in my mafia world, it's a security risk. Whatever the reason, I'm, I'm here for it, you know? Um, you got her there. So, that's, all, that's all we care about. Yes, exactly. Dante's like, oh, well, I'm not going to come home tonight. You can stay in my apartment, which is in the same building, just not the same place that Tristan's going to sleep. And Tristan's like, she stays with me. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, she does, baby. You yeah, start to see doesn't. what we call the lover sixth sense. Yes, he's just like very attached to her. We still don't really know why. Um, and he's like, nope, you're going to stay here. And he's like, I'm not going to hurt you, but you're staying here. But he says it way sexier than that. Then, so she, he shows her to the guest room, whatever, disappears. She thinks he left. So, and he's like, 
you know, she's like, really just gonna leave me here? Like, I'm your enemy kind of a thing. And he's just like, yeah, I don't have anything in here. Do what you I want. I don't give a shit about you, so, bitch. <laughs> right. So she snoops, of course. So she like goes up. Like any girl would in a man's home. Absolutely. He said, you could, you know, go wherever. He said he wasn't scared. He got nothing to hide. So she climbs the stairs to what is basically a loft in Tristan's whole bedroom. And so she just at the top of the stairs looking around and all of a sudden homie walks into the bathroom with just a towel around his hips. Water doesn't realize down his 12 pack. (sighs) Steam is coming out from behind him. Scars all over, tattoos all over. The rugged man is here. Oh, mercy. And he's doing his thing. I mean, I just imagine everything he does. Like when she says predator, I just picture him moving like a freaking like panther, like yes. opening drawers, like everything. This like, we were talking about sexy hands earlier. He for sure has sexy oh, hands. 100%. 1,000%. And he's just opening drawers. And then all of a sudden with his back turned to her, realizes he feels her. They both have this single for each other. Oh, it's so hot. And turns around. And she just stays, stands there staring at him at the top of the stairs. Really? And he starts slowly moving closer to her. And what we get is a little bit of foreshadowing and some nice, like, comparing. We get to have in a minute is she takes a step back, forgetting she's on the stairs, and starts to fall backwards down the stairs. And he grabs her um, by the back of the neck, which also becomes one of the things, which is also some foreshadowing, that <sighs> grabbing that nape, nape of her neck um, and, like, steadies her, but then, like, doesn't let her go right away. But then does eventually let her go and she leaves so then what you brought up was so later that night after they do their business they get back home and Marana and her dad get into it he had caught her at the top of the stairs and she is wearing her high heels and she starts to slip down the stairs and he grabs onto her but then he lets her go so it's like the foreshadowing you have with like Tristan grabbing her setting her at the top of the stairs by the nape of her neck and then you have this like literally her Later, father is going to let, well, what she thinks at the time is her father. Yeah. Lets her stairs, go down the stairs. Ends up hurting so, her. And Tristan, her very quote bad. unquote enemy, is the one that actually saved her. So she goes down. She goes to, she doesn't know where to go. She has no friends, right? She grows up, grow up like completely confined. And um, so the only place she knows to go is to Dante and Tristan. And she gets there. She has no idea like how much of a hot mess she is or whatever. And this is the first time that Tristan makes a bath for her. The nurturing side of Tristan throughout the entire series with her, like, yes, he may not talk to her a lot, but like (laughs) the way he nurtures her and like takes care of her and like through his actions, like the bathtub scene. And when she comes to him, like um, he does it a couple of times later on, but like, yeah. He's always there to take care of her in the way he can. And I there's a part in this book too where uh we eventually meet Dante and Amara. And they always talk about how like with Tristan, even though he can be this like monster when it comes to women and children, he he's will like fuck. ride or die. Like he always he's he's a natural, he's yes, he's a predator, but he's also the one of the biggest protectors, I think, in this world. <laughs> right. And I think like what we don't realize you don't realize when you're reading it at that moment but like you come to learn that Tristan's dad he kills his dad um which we'll talk about that in a little bit but killed his dad once he kills his dad his mom basically like abandons him he's really young when it happens like yeah he's like eight years old so we don't we also don't know where she is (laughs) yeah we don't we have no idea where his mom's at she pieces out um 
but then you also, um, I think I've read that in my notes somewhere. Where are all the moms? I think I have a question mark. I have a theory where, for where the, where the We, we have a theory. We've actually okay. talked about this theory. We'll, we'll at the end. Okay. So from a very young age, he's left. And because he does this, um, Lorenzo Moroni, who people act like, oh, or they think that Tristan's like, he's grooming Tristan. But really what it is, is he's very afraid of Tristan because Tristan is 0% afraid of Lorenzo Moroni. And so Lorenzo Moroni keeps him close lets him live on the compound, which, you know, no one but family really lives on the compound. And he basically just trains him in and like isolates him to like the millionth degree. Um, and so Tristan grows up literally not being taken care of in any way whatsoever. He gets so raised by violence. Why, like he has no love. He's not even like really raised. They put him in a cottage out by the lake, you know, someone. And only bring him in to train food. where they basically beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and that's it. But I will say this. Last night I was thinking about as I'm going through all these books, on like a broader scale, looking at the whole series, Marana gets fucked up. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. She takes more beatings and like more shit happens to her than any other character. Like when Except you think about Luna. it through all the books. <laughs> Besides Luna. Besides Luna, but yes, I get what you mean. Like, But for someone that's not like, like living the life that Luna is, I mean, she gets thrown down the stairs she gets, she gets um blown up blown up or then or almost you know blown up she gets uh a, two gets assassination shot. attempts yes in the reaper she gets in the reaper alone she gets shot in the finisher she gets shot <laughs> yes she does <laughs> okay <laughs> like <laughs> like runix if you're listening i really want a bonus scene of tristan kane finding out someone shot his motherfucking no she wife. she rewrote it i have it she did write that oh that's I right have, i just I haven't read that. it damn it yes yeah that exists that was like one of the special uh, things she did and i i keep trying to find that for you um i need to like dig through my emails but she did do that yes she did. <sighs> um that was i think like around christmas time she like did a couple it. of like yeah scenes and that was maybe like, if the i sign up her mailing list it'll be like there that's where i got it yeah so the window scene was that after she got dropped down the stairs or i believe that after- so and then later that night she thinks she's home alone back in tristan's she goes downstairs and she sees this huge thing of windows and it's raining outside and she kind of just has this moment where she's looking over her life and what a shit storm it's been and how she just feels alone she's so alone she doesn't feel like she has anyone and she also is finally in a place where i think she grew up in so much isolation and at this house of terrors that she grew up in and it's kind of the first time that she's looking out into the world with this window and it's like god what would it be like to like not have this life in a way you know yeah and so you know basically after her well yeah Tristan finds her at the window of just like silence of course of course silence it's Tristan but yeah but it's like we're but I feel like also, again, it's like showing you what's about to come. Like, we're just going to be in this shit storm together. We're just not going to be alone together. It's a moment where they both have like a truce in a way. Mm-hmm. Like they're both laying down their quote unquote guns. Um, and then from there, we she actually meets Amara pretty soon after that. And Amara sets her on this path to what will then lead to the Reaper and the Syndicate. And she tells Marana 
that it's not her story to tell that why Tristan hates her, but to look into why the alliance ended 22 years ago. And then what do you know? Right after that, Marana receives a message from an unknown sender. We know now this is the Reaper talking to her. And it includes all these old newspaper articles about these missing girls that went missing 22 years ago. Um, and this is ultimately what led to the Alliance ending. Um, the Reaper continues to send her information. We end up at the end of the book. We learned that one of the babies that disappeared was Jane Doe. That's actually going to be Luna Kane, which is Tristan's little sister. The unknown sender sends her a picture of the missing girls and it's a picture of three little girls and it's Luna Kane, Marana Vitalio, and there's another unknown little girl in the picture that she sees. And this is how she finds out that she was one of the, the girls. Is this other little girl Zenith? Which, I mean. I feel like it has to be. It, I feel like based on what we learned in the Annihilator, that's at least supposed to be our assumption. That's To me, that came off when I looked back on it. In the Annihilator, we learned that, well, Eventually, as the book's gone, we know that Zenith is the real Murano Vitalio. And just to give you context where we're going with this, again, we're assuming you've read all the books. Try to keep up, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this unknown little girl in the picture is Zenith because we also learned that in the Annihilator, like you were saying, Luna Kane had a friend when she was younger that ran away and left her. We know that that friend is Zenith. Um, from or at least finisher, Hector thought so. From the finisher. That's true. I have another theory coming up with that with the numbers. Um, okay. I think it's Zenith. Yeah, I think we just have to proceed with that assumption. Like that's where we're, if it's not the truth, that's where Runa wants us to go with it for now. Yeah, we get to the cemetery scene. Where all the shit comes out. She goes to the cemetery and it's by an airport. This is her, her little quiet, happy place. Um, I had one of those growing up. Did you have a quiet, happy place you would go to when you're really upset? Uh, yeah, like this, like little creek behind my house. I had a little turnout next to this. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, essentially what I did. There's like this little turnout you could go to, and then there was like this big. It was like acres upon acres of um, where horses were just like free. To, I mean, to roam or whatever. Like, I don't know. There was all these theories about it growing up, but it was like these were like all these horses that were saved from like the glue factory or whatever. Oh you know, my like gosh. It was, like I don't know if that's true, but like so it was just a bunch of horses. They weren't rideable or anything like that, but it was just kind of like whatever. It so I would so go crazy. and I would just sit there and I would just watch them and cry and be so mad, at, like at whoever was mad at my parents, yes. or whatever. Yeah. So that's what Marana's at little cemetery, which is just makes sense for this morbid little lady. I know. Um, I loved it. When she's there, though, she, two men come, basically, because her dad knows about this place. There's also a tracker in her car. No, the men don't come yet. Here's what it is. That's Her right. dad Sorry. calls her and basically basically says, like, she's going to die. So then she goes to her back to her car because she gets this eerie That's feeling. Then she yes. looks under the car. She notices it's going to blow up. It blows up. Then she calls Amara to come help her because she's injured. Like, she just went through an explosion, Okay. Right. It's not until later on that her dad sends men to check on this. Later on. Which we'll get to that in a second. Yes. yes. But this is where we are now. Okay. Her car blows up. She calls Amara. Amara comes to her. And her and Amara yes. finally have this moment where Amara is like, I know you're good Fuck for it. Tristan. I'm going to tell, tell you, tell you you're everything. the woman. Like, you need to yep. know. And screw it if Dante gets mad at me. Like, yep. he know. I think Amara knows. The empath in her Amara is like, I know this is a make or break moment. And I have to tell this story. <clears throat> yep. So we find out the truth. Sorry, when Marana was a baby, 
she was taken by um, this, you know, these sex charges syndicate. She was taken by Lorenzo Maroney. I'm putting the pieces together that you learned in the Reaper. I'm bringing it back for you. Yes, but Lorenzo Maroney takes her to give to the syndicate. The he takes the what we're going to find out is the real Marana and our current Marana. Marana is the Reaper's daughter. The Reaper is actually a third. In the end of the Reaper, we learn this, but there's three families, not two. And it's the Talios, the Maronis, and we never learn the Reaper's name. We never, we never find that out. And the Reaper. Yeah. The Reaper actually worked for the Tenenbrae outfit. He was a soldier yeah. for Lorenzo and did basically what Marana does. He was like this huge computer hacker, had all the information and data, found out all their secrets. So they brought him He in. didn't want to be part of the sex trade stuff. Exactly. Then he finds out that Lorenzo has been dealing with the syndicate and the child sex trafficking. And he's like, I don't want any part of this. So then Lorenzo, I'm going to light you guys up. So then Lorenzo, Lorenzo is like, all right, well, I'm going to kill you because you know too much. So he goes to kill the Reaper and his family. The Reaper ends up surviving. And then he ends up taking his daughter, Marana, that we know is Marana, and gives her to Gabriel. Gabriel. He takes Gabriel's daughter, who's Zenith, and puts her in the syndicate to basically keep them on a leash to where they can never go against him now. And what she means by he, she means Lorenzo Maroney is doing yes, this. Yes, Lorenzo Maroney is doing it. But Gabriel is the reason why Luna was taken. And I don't know why right. Gabriel decided to take Luna unless it was just like, I don't know. So now we are in um, Tenembrae. We are at Lorenzo Maroney's house and baby... Marana Vitalio is sitting on a table. Now, this is not actually Marana Vitalio, Lorenzo Vitalio's DNA daughter, but this is who we come to know as right. Marana Vitalio. And basically, Tristan's dad pulls out a gun and points it at this baby on the table and says, tell me where my daughter is. I know you took her. Where is my daughter? I'm going to kill this baby. And Tristan sees all this going down. He's very upset. He already feels like he failed his parents because he loved his baby sister and took good care of her and she got taken when he was there and he's literally what like six years, years old, old or something eight years old okay so he's just like what is happening like he can't believe what his dad's doing and he ends up you know he's trying to be this big man he's raised on this compound his dad works for lorenzo maroni and so he has a gun and he's like i'm supposed to be in bed but i'm just like you know want to be part of this and he sees all this stuff going on and he ends up shooting his dad because he Marana. thinks his dad's going to kill the baby to save Marana. And so he, we later find out he wasn't trying to kill him. He just wanted to scare him, but he just didn't know what to do. And Marana and him had had this moment where she smiled at him and he felt like this affection for her because, you know, the stuff's going on with his sister. He felt this attachment to her. Now he's killed his dad and his mom takes one look at him and basically says, you're a monster, leaves him to Lorenzo Maroney. And Tristan attack, like creates this like attachment to Marana in that moment. So Lorenzo takes that baby that's sitting on the table, ends up raising her as if she's her, his own daughter. And it's kind of like this thing that this twisted thing where that's how Lorenzo ends up controlling Gabriel and like they kind of. Because Gabriel wants his real daughter back. And he does. Lorenzo knows where she is and he won't tell her. And so he's like, you, you know, this is, he basically gives this daughter to Lorenzo to send a message as look at what I did to the Reaper. I can do it to you and your daughter. And to you. And he never gives her back. And um, this is why Marana, you know, growing up thinks, thinks her dad hates her and she doesn't does. understand why her mom left, which the mom, 
you know, rejects this baby and is like, I'm, this is not my daughter and she leaves. So that, you know, that's one missing mom. And then Tristan's mom leaves and that's another missing mom. So basically Tristan and Marana have both been abandoned by both of their moms. Tristan killed his dad. Um, Marana's dad hates her and neither one of them known any affection at all whatsoever. So Amara tells Marana all this and she is just like dumbfounded because she just did not understand, could not wrap her head around why Tristan hated her so much. He kept telling her like, your death is mine. No one like that's no essentially one else can kill you, but me. Yeah. yeah. That's essentially the justification throughout both of like, or up the whole first book as to why he protects her is because like her death, I've claimed your death. So no one else allowed to kill you except for me when I decide. And so then he um, blames Marana Amara for creating this monster that his mom calls her, calls him. And for everything he, his life thereafter is yeah. miserable. And so he kind of, in his mind decides like, this is her fault. She created this monster and that is me and this life that I've experienced. Um, and so then Amara leaves and some men show up at the cemetery. Basically her dad calls her and she's like, you tried to kill me and like you failed over. So these guys show up. Well, what we didn't know in the moment that was happening is Tristan's trying to find her. And he shows up and goes into um, Gabriel Vitalio's house, punches him in his face with, for the second time, which is amazing. Um, and basically like in the Reaper, when she finally figures out what Tristan did to- to her dad oh my oh god. god what he said she doesn't know any of this even in that moment but tristan he basically gabriel ends up telling tristan where like her states like where her little special place is and he goes there and sees her car blown up and he thinks that she's dead and he like touches, he touches the car, and this car. Is the first time <gasps> yes and she watches she's just watching him from the background like waiting and then she just, just like it starts pouring rain of course and um you know she ends up thanking him for saving her. And her monologue at the end is some of the best written shit I've ever read. Yeah. Um, you love this part. So you take this of like the whole She ultimatum. ends up like, he's not saying anything, but. Um, well, he like, he has that lover sick sense, which is what I love. He's like touching he her car with his back to her. That she's there. And then he feels her behind him. And she and in, her like, inner, <gasps> in her inner monologue um, is going through talking about how she's watching him touch her car and she knows that like he has feelings for her like she, it's done like she ends up saying like he always fought for her and now this was going to be her fighting for him and mm-hmm. she was going to make this gamble but she knew that like she couldn't move on if she didn't do this with with Tristan so she ends up going to him and she, at first she thanks him for saving her and I love what she says and you see this through the Reaper with her and Tristan, she is so understanding of his trauma and does not push him and is so patient with him in a way that I don't think I ever could be. But she ends up acknowledging how hard that was. And at the end of the day, he was a child. And that is what he did. And he was never meant as a child to do those things. Like that was never right. meant to be what he- He never had a childhood right. at all. And he, she ends up saying like, you did save me and you made your decision that day. And I've made mine and here it is. And she gives him one, his one only chance to kill her and yeah. kill me now or kill me now and, not doing or this not. and I love what she says. She ends up telling him like, this is it. You can find your closure. Here's your one shot, but this is the only chance I'm going to give you after this. If you choose not to kill me, we're never going to bring this up again. Like this is either you're moving on or you're going to kill me. This is your chance. And she ends up saying like, 
if a choice you made two decades ago is defining my life right now, then I'll make you choose again. But this time, not as a boy, but as a grown man. Like she is the way that she treats Tristan is like, I'm going to be understanding and supportive of this decision. But Tristan, I'm also going to call you on your bullshit and that you're not a little kid anymore. And either you can choose to acknowledge this, this decision and what happened and move on from it with me, or you're going to kill me. Like she kind of puts him in a place a little bit of like, it's time to grow up and make another decision as a man. Like what's it also, I feel like it's also kind of like mercy for him because it's like, he's living in this limbo of like this misery of like, I think he realizes he really wants her, but like shouldn't and can't. And it's confusing the love for the hate. And it's just this torture of this limbo. And she's basically like ending this torture for him. And it's like one way or another, it's over. We're making today. It's going to be done. (laughs) Whatever you choose. So then, they I have the best freaking part. kiss ever. The best written kiss ever. Ever. So it's pouring rain. I'm going to set the scene. Ugh. It's pouring rain. They're standing very, very close together, okay? They're like, chests are rising. They're they huffing can, and puffing. Like they They're staring him. at each other. Yes, he just thought she was dead. Now she's not dead. And she's telling him all this stuff. And she just she's got putting him up, in his place. Crazy. And he loves it. And he's, she's like, shoot. And it's all on him. And he's just staring at her. Now, now go. Now tell him what he, tell him what he does. He takes the gun, slides it down her face and holds it to her head. Then he drops it and just fucking attacks her. Like the kiss starts out slow. You would kind of think maybe it's like a goodbye kiss in a way of like, he's going to do it. But then he doesn't. He makes his choice. He throws down And to gun. be clear, Ugh. this is their first kiss. This is their first their time kissing. first kiss. They've never kissed. They've they've had sex. They've never kissed. And then he just attacks her. And then, like Tristan does so well, he just walks off. Just gets in the car. Gets the car warmed up for her. Turns the heater on. Yeah, he's getting the car warm for her. Kids the turn. Well, I love when Bobby does that. When it's like in the winter, he'll like you start the car and he like turns my heater on for me. And I don't even realize until my butt's toasty. Oh my and God, I'm like, thanks. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's basically what he does. And the last line I love how she writes, like she had made her choice and she chose to follow him into the dark. That's the end. Then we get to the Reaper. I promise we're going to get there guys. The Reaper. I love the Reaper more than the predator. Um, we get this prologue that's in the Reaper and the Reaper is actually watching them in the cemetery. And he's been watching her forever because as we know, that's his daughter. Um, we also get the annihilator makes his first appearance. The annihilator slash shadow man makes his first appearance. Uh, basically Dante, Tristan and Marana are going to go back to Tenebrae and see his father. And the annihilator makes his first appearance at the airport with Marana. He like, so freaking creepy like stalks up behind her and like she doesn't see him but he's basically telling her that like you've changed the game we're gonna work together because we have a shared enemy and I want you to find out something for me and then I'll give you the information that you need regarding the codes is what we assume and then he just this whole time you're not really sure like is this guy we don't know (laughs) we don't know anything about him and also in the predator tristan when she went he went to visit her dad to find out where she was basically tells him like she's mine now so marana's never going back to her dad obviously through dumpsters yeah they made, made a choice but, in this cemetery scene as well of like they're going to be together and yeah. they're not really sure how it's going to work 
but they're not going to kill each other anymore. And they know they have a relationship here. And so then we finally get to Tenebrae and we meet Amara's half sister, Neria, who's going to play a key role later on. Uh, You also have foreshadowing here when Marana calls Amara and says, oh, I met your sister. And she actually tells her, like, don't entirely trust her. Don't trust her. Yeah. There's just something about her. Like, just watch it. We also meet uh, the Mancinis. We meet Kiara and her husband, Leo. Leo is the cousin of Lorenzo. Um, just more extended family. More extended Kiara used family. to bang Tristan. Kiara just, is just here to like, like Kiara is just a cut. Yeah. She's a bitch. Her and Tristan have this like sordid sexual past where she basically preyed on him as a child. You know what's so hard that Runix does? She takes characters like Kiara Mancini and she takes characters uh, like Gabriel Vitalio is my two examples here. Kiara Mancini is a horrible human being. But then you <laughs> But get, then she makes you feel bad. But then you get this past of like <laughs> her husband, her her husband raped people. her and then like married her. Like, so yeah, wouldn't you be a fucking soulless bitch too? And then get, the same thing with Gabriel Vitalio at the end of the Reaper. Like, he just wants his daughter. And that doesn't justify everything he's done. No, I know. But in this, but whole, you do feel a little bit yes, bad for him. In this whole, but series, at the same time, there is this theme of like your surroundings and your experiences create you. Your parents and how they treat you create the person you are. And I think she uses people like Tristan and like the Annihilator. That as an adult, they made a decision that yes, this is my past, but I'm going to choose a different way. You have people like Kiara and Gabriel who aren't that way they had these horrible things happen to them but they didn't go to the other side of it they chose Mm -hmm. to just become evil and it's so hard but I love that she writes it well and I love that like it's complex right too so then it shows you multiple things like just using Kiara for example Kiara shows you you can feel well even Miria Miria yes towards the end it shows you that and we had talked about Miria before it's like like it's messy and feeling it's it feels to me almost more realistic because it's like people are messy and feelings are messy and Kira's not a good a good person but you can still feel bad for her in some ways but like she still like is a shitty person you and then I love that human being to make changes everyone has their baggage everyone has their trauma everyone has their right trauma. and you can't make this choice to like go this way but then also Kiara and what she does and the way she treats Marana and then what you see then like she's almost used as like not a like kind of a plot device like a relationship device for Dante and Amara and Marana because then it's like Dante's basically telling her like don't pay any freaking attention to that bitch like blah blah, blah like blah, blah. and I love that because it's like a building block in Marana and Dante's relationship and what I really love about this series is that what we'll kind of find out in the Emperor in the third book Tristan and Amara have their whole own relationship outside of Dante that it literally has nothing to do with like the fact that Amara ends up being Dante's like girlfriend it's not like oh you're my boyfriend's best friend no they have their own relationship and then Dante and Marana have have their own relationship and the way that they get close actually makes Tristan and Dante even closer because they I definitely feel like they get closer through the emperor than they are like in the first book Tristan I feel like is still barely like tolerating him and they've been quote-unquote friends as far as Dante's concerned for a decade they're really not more though I mean they are just the only person Tristan friendship that you think it is and so Marana comes along trusts him enough obviously because you see some stuff that shows like okay like 
even before Mar- or not before Marana, because Marana's always been a part of Tristan's life, but before she becomes a presence, a physical presence. Um, I think when Dante, see, like, uh, in the Reaper, we see Dante take care of Marana um, on his own way multiple um, times. Shielding, he puts Vin on her as her like personal bodyguard. He, um, who Vin ends up giving her a knife when she's not supposed to have weapons, like. He ends up moving her out to his home because he doesn't want to be in the house with Lorenzo. Like Dante does things to take, and then when she's attacked, she actually runs to Dante's house. Runs to Dante. Dante takes. He's care the one that gets her first. And so I think, which is through- the same thing with Amara when when she's taken in the third book. Tristan's the one that finds her and keeps her secret. You know? And and so yes, I think and I, feel I think like- through Dante caring for Marana, when Tristan's in a place where yes, he wants to be with her, but. That's another thing with Tristan and Marana and I loved in the Reaper. Their whole trajectory of, yes, they're together, but they still have a lot of them navigating how to be in a relationship in the Reaper. I loved it. Like, it oh, was still that amazing. slow build. Yes, they made a decision, but they weren't just like all of a sudden happy-go-lucky in a relationship. And I no. think Dante was kind of that bridge and was there for Marana when Tristan would pull back and couldn't do that for Marana still because he was still dealing with his baggage like he's still dealing with his trauma and they made a choice yeah he's still coming to terms with those feelings and what from someone who never knew love in his life like he's trying to figure that out I think Dante was there for Marana when Tristan couldn't be and I think that bridged Tristan and Dante's friendship and made it made them closer and I think so obviously we're like assuming most people have read these if you're listening to this so I think we don't need to like go deep dive on explaining the reaper but I will say tracing their relationship path. Mm-hmm. I love watching that. I love watching how their relationship changes in the Reaper when So eventually when they first get to um, Tenebrae, Marana's forced to stay inside the main house, which is where Lorenzo lives. Well, Dante has his own house further out in the compound and Tristan has his own little cottage out by a lake further out in the compound. So Marana is staying in there their relationship is still not really fully relationship even at this point. No. And you it's know? not, it's, it's really, you have the, she's still in the house whenever they have their first dinner and Kiara is there to make her jealous. Like you said, kind of a plot device. They have this dinner. She gets jealous. He ends up cornering her in her bedroom in front of the mirror. And she's wearing Lorenzo's dress that Lorenzo gave her. And that's when we have the dress scene, which is so freaking <laughs> hot. Jealous Tristan, I mean, Jealous Marana was just like, I loved it. I loved it. He rips the dress to shreds and is like, don't you dare. Then the next day, he gives her his credit card to go buy her clothes because he refuses to let her wear Lorenzo's clothes. It's I love literally, this man. But I, I also man. love that Runix was like, I'm going to give you this hot thing that Tristan does, but then I'm going to give you this bad bitch. She says, I'm good. I got my own credit card. I loved it. I freaking and then loved it. She gets all these things and then Kiara's like, oh, you're already spending Tristan's money. And it's like, no, bitch, that's what you would do. I bought it myself. I like it. I love I have my own money. All of it. I loved all of and it. And it's her money. It's not her dad's <gasps> money. It's truly her own money that she makes from like all this crazy knowledge she has with coding and all that. She yes. truly makes her own money. So he rips the dress after he comes on it. Then he marks her with a hickey to send the message and he, to everyone. he makes her. He knows there's listening devices in her room and he bangs her. He wants her basically as loud as possible. Oh. So that everybody can hear it up in here. Okay. <laughs> then I also love Morana's, Mar- uh, like, I call it the big dick moment with Lorenzo. And I love how Morano, Morano, Morana is I keep saying it just too. as protective over Tristan 
as Tristan is over her. She has this moment with Lorenzo. And she has like less of a reason kind of in a way, like, yeah. or less of like a habit of that. He has that habit where she's more like, but then she likes it down. She says this thing of like, I'm not a victim. I'm vengeance, Mr. Maroney. And like, yep. Like, I'm going to make you pay for every scar, every mark on Tristan's body. And then Amara, and then what you did to Dante, like exiling Amara yep. for all the hurt you did to Dante, for all the girls that are missing. Like, I've got your number and I'm done. Like, just wait for it. And yep. I love this last line she says to him. He says something like, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, try to kill me. Then uh, you, you say you've oh, never yeah. seen Tristan react until last night. Then kill me and see what you'll unleash upon yourself. Just try it. I fucking dare you. And then she walks out and she says, Long live the king. The king is dead. And I'm just like, bad. But I'm in love with her. There's I'm nothing harder with me. her. I know. And there's nothing hard to me when like, because she is like, for her to be able to be that confident in how he feels about her. Like, I love that I know. shit. And what I love about Tristan and Marana is like, like, as they start making these this progress in the relationship, there's like, there is little moments where it's like, given and like two steps forward one step back with Tristan yes. or you think there is but there's not really ever like there's no going back actually with Tristan it's yep. like this is it forever he's just kind of two steps forward as far as like showing something and then he needs a break and he needs to retreat because it's very hard for him to process but he's not actually going backward I and because I that that fresh can be frustrating to me um in general but and then she um, gets the assassination attacked. attempt by the way, she knows people are going to kill her because of the Annihilator, like we said, is back in this book and making his little creepy things with her. The Annihilator tells her this. Later that night, the assassin comes in again. She fights away. She goes to Dante's. Dante calls Tristan. He ends up now moving her into his house. And this is a big step. It's a big step in their okay. relationship. I love this because so he moves her in. And, you know, he takes care of her that night and you see the escalation because now we have another bathtub scene. And so the first bathtub scene, he had made the bath. She, you know, this was in the predator after her dad threw down the stairs, he makes the bath for her, but then she like just finds it on her own, gives herself a bath, whatever, and comes out. So in this one, he fully bathes her, washes her hair, which I don't know why that just freaking kills me. Like anytime a man is there to like nurture you in that way, it is such an intimate moment. It's such an intimate moment. Like it is just straight intimacy without actually having sex. Like, yeah. And this is the first time he sees her fully naked. Like she's fully, yeah. fully naked to him. And he takes care of her. He washes the hair. He washes the blood off her face, which is not actually her blood, but the guy that she, that attacked her blood. Um, he puts her in bed. And I love this scene where he puts her in bed. He makes a promise to her. They end up making a promise to each other. The promises in the dark. Yeah, they yeah. have that. Uh, she, he has a nightmare, and she ends up soothing him, and he wakes up, and he tells her, you have to promise that you'll leave next time because I have night terrors. It's dangerous. I can end up hurting you. She says, you made me a promise last night in the dark. I'm making you one now. Never again. You'll never be alone again. No matter how bad the nightmare gets, I'm going to be here. Tristan, in this moment, I freaking loved it. He's like, if you break that promise, I'll break mine. And she says, which one? And he says, to not destroy you. And she says, destroy me. And then, and bam. <laughs> but the bam is, there's no bam. And this is the, the bam greatest is, The people call and they get blue ball. So he just freaking fingers her. Like, cool. Not even until later, isn't it? A little bit later after no, he's that. on the phone with her. They end up calling. And um, 
Is that at the same time? Like, there's no going back. They to end up calling. Yeah. And he okay. ends up fingering her. And then, of course, like, they do the hot thing that they all do and, like, lift his fingers. And he's like, I've tasted you now, Miss Vitalio. You oh, can't escape God. me. You can't escape me now. The nope. fact that, like, I don't want you. No, the fact to. that they've already had sex, like, in the first book, first scene, but then it's almost like you're backpedaled. Like, she, this is the first time he's seen, she has seen him without a shirt on. Yeah. He hasn't even gone like, down. I love yet. that. It's the first time fingering her. He hasn't even touched her nipples yet. He hasn't even touched her nipples yet. He still hasn't touched her nipples for crying out loud. And okay, so what I love about this, and then after this, you know, he goes downstairs, he's got to get ready to leave, whatever. I love, so this is one of the things that Runix does amazing and beautifully. So she, Marana starts talking about his room because now she's actually finally seeing it in the daylight. And it's these warm greens and like, it's like the forest woods and it's really like, it's just warm, right? And then as she goes down the stairs and she's getting closer and closer to like the more public part of the house, it's getting icier and colder and bluer and more and grays and more sterile. And it's literally the most beautiful metaphor for Tristan, right? It's like this cold, icy, hard exterior. And then the closer you get into his heart and it's like the bedroom is like the heart of your home, which I know people say that's the kitchen, but like not for Tristan, no, okay? Mine's my um, 100% my bedroom too. It's my safe place. It's my haven. It's the thing that like comforts me. Yeah. And so then like that's like him on the inside, deep inside. It's like this warm, it's woodsy. It's not the things that you would ever like imagine. It's definitely not what he shows the world. Yes. So I love that. Like I love, I love when breeze. things get so intricate and there's layers involved. It I feel adds, like, okay. It adds a richness to your characters. It adds a richness to your story. 100%. And this is like, to me, you know, I have like the benefit of having talked to her before about her writing process and stuff. And like knowing the way that she writes and the fact that she considers herself a storyteller much more than like an author. And she's an intuitive writer and she lets these characters lead and all this stuff. It's like, this is what you get. It's, I feel like, and she's told me before, it's hard to write that way, you know, but this is what you get when you write that way. You get that emotional impact. You get that extra. And I'm like, you get the layers and you get like this. There's so much more to it. And I feel like me and you, like, this is the kind of stuff we eat up. And this is the, like the thing that like, I don't need a book to be like perfect. I don't need like every comma in the right spot or what the heck ever. Mm -hmm. Like, I certainly don't. Cause I don't even know where commas go. It's like, I'm there's always too many or too few. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about any of that stuff. I am here for the story. And this is like, these are the things that you get with Runix's books that are so, there's so much emotion. There's so many layers. There's so much depth. If you are the type of person who can look into that, I feel like, like if you're the girl who like journaled growing up and like yeah. cried over song lyrics and yes. like, you know what I mean? Like yes. I was an emo kid in high school. Like Same. this is you know, I feel like it's my cup of, of books, tea like, because I get all of it. I get the spice and the yes. steam. I get the great 100%. detailed psychological thriller mystery part. And then I also get spoon fed this deep emotion and mm -hmm. imagery. Mm -hmm. And that's why this series is just chef's kiss. So I have a question. Yeah. Later on, the Reaper contacts Morana on the shadow net. We are now on the dark web. And he tells her to look in the flesh trade and he'll find sources. The sources she finds is a name called Distance Y. I never caught that until this time through. Distance Y later on, I think uh, it's, it's, it's the shadow man that ends up telling her at the pier that uh, she was the shadow man again. And he ends up telling her that Distance Y is the syndicate. 
And if you rearrange the letters, it spells it again. Right. And during, so she gets assassinated. She takes a picture of the guy that assassinated her. And she's trying to do facial recognition programming to see who this assassin is. She finds two other pictures of this man that went in to kill her on public cameras. One is in South America and one is in Shadowport. Is South America Los Fortis? Yeah. Because um, she says at one point, it, it, Amara says in the Emperor, it's in a different hemisphere. And we know it's in the South. Yeah. And so I does it say South America? It, it says, says in South the America? river when she runs the facial recognition program that she caught the man on public cameras in South America and Shadowport. It's interesting because I didn't recognize the South America part because I do know that like this is like the runic verse. You know what I mean? Like this is But like is the Amazon made in up. South America? Where's yeah. the Amazon? In Brazil, I think. Perfect. So we can assume that's Los Fortes. Which would make yeah. sense considering we get the finisher. Yeah. Right? Um, but I want to know if that's going to like come back again. <laughs> the, Who's the man? Who is the assassin? <laughs> where did I say that the Amazon rainforest was? Brazil. I was right. You were oh right? Yeah, Brazil and Peru. Thank God Thank you're going to me because I know nothing. <laughs> well, okay. So this is the thing though. Like, because I, I have uh, like... I was in school I say history so like geography has to kind of go with it a little bit that was always such a weak spot for me because I my emphasis was in early American and European history so like I've always had I'm like I know where those are yeah you know what I mean so it's always been a huge weak spot for me but like look at you I don't know if it's gonna come up again because we've talked about this a lot and with the finisher okay so the reaper the predator the reaper the emperor they all go together, make tons of sense. And then we get the finisher and we just, it's not that it doesn't make sense. It does. You learn lots of stuff in there, but I don't quite, and I don't, maybe there isn't a point to this. Like, I think maybe I could hundred percent be looking too deeply into this because I feel like with Runic's books, like everything could mean everything has a purpose or, or maybe not. Yeah. Or, but some things are, are just things because she likes to explore True. other, like, Having us be going now and venturing to Los Fortes, which is in, I said that very Mexican. <laughs> Sorry. I loved it. Los Fortes. I don't even know I if the Spanish words is how it came out. It's because they just, yeah, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't fully, like, I feel like we could have stayed just in, in our area. I get that, like, you have to have a new territory for Alpha, but, like, Here's the I only don't thing fully I can know. I think it's also maybe to show the expanse of this criminal world. And then we later learn that the syndicate is huge, like involves all these high up people of power in the world. And so I think maybe to also just show that like, it's not just in this one city, like, or this one country that maybe to show the expanse of how far it reaches. Yeah, that makes sense. Did, but I really I have, don't know. Um, and I will say, I, I do hope, uh, I think there's more to Alpha with him in this story. I just don't know what it is yet. And I'm hoping in the last book, we get more on Alpha and his role. Well, and she did say that in The Syndicator, which is going to be the title of the last book, everybody has a POV. Mm-hmm. And so I'm assuming, you know, that, well, if that's the case, there's obviously more point, not, I keep saying point as in like, all these characters have to have a oh, point, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's, yeah, there's, there's going to be, a, be more to, to me, it. To me, his role, which wasn't as big as the others, or I felt like it wasn't. Um, I felt like Zen was maybe the point of the finisher. 
when you talk about the big overarching plot. And she, I think we had said before, like, I feel like there's going to be more to it too, because then we could have made that all work within this world. So there's got to be more of a point. Like you said, it could simply just be to show well, how We also don't know is. why his name was on the piece of property that the Reaper gives Dante. And no, I felt like we did know that because of Hector. Hector was trying to take over Alpha's stuff. I thought I thought he was like trying to frame him because he also worked for the syndicate. But we also and know so he, that the syndicate doesn't like Alpha because Alpha with what Alpha does. Alpha is right. So they could have just been trying side. to like. So I don't know if it was the syndicate trying to use their house and like some sort of way to like get back at him. I don't know, or if it was Hector like playing God or what. But Hector like. is part of the syndicate, right? Yeah, he's like a low level contract. a handler. But he didn't start so I feel out like it could have he didn't start out being in the syndicate. He was just a psychotic killer that hated Alpha and he Ooh. he ended up going to the syndicate. He saying, wanted everything that Alpha saying, had. The syndicate ended up contacting Hector because he worked for Alpha and they found out who Zen where Zen was. And Zen was Alpha's sister in law. So they contacted Hector and Hector said as his psychotic killer self. Hector was like, if you help me bring him down, then I'll get Zen for you. But he never like fully mm-hmm. worked with the syndicate until after the finisher, when he goes underground and goes missing, he crawls back to the syndicate and they make him a handler because he got Zen out. He killed Zen. Um, yeah. Basically, back back to the thing. Back to let's finish up the Reaper. No, I feel like we're taking a long time. Well, it all that. interconnects, so like it makes sense. But I mean, let's just skip to the end here. Basically, we've already talked about Trisha Murana, how much we love them. I do actually, another smut scene, if you want to talk about it, the club scene where Tristan makes her jealous on purpose. I knew purpose, you'd love it. And he, I knew you'd love he it. follows her outside of the alley. And Murana is a fucking badass bitch. Murana bringing <laughs> Tristan Kane, Tristan motherfucking Kane to his knees and making him say her name the way that he always makes her say his name, proving a fucking point. And I Freaking ate it up. It was a boss-ass bitch move, and I loved it. I won't say any more about it. Do you know why you love that? You loved it because there's also this emotional expression at the end where he's like, I'll never test you like that again. And you are, again, we're going to go back to this, a four, and you just want any and all of these, like, emotional, like, confessions and these moments that are, like, supercharged. Whereas me, I was like, First of all, where is that girl? <laughs> why didn't we throat punch her? Then why didn't we throat punch him and then make him go down on us in the alleyway? Also me, I would have been like, <laughs> find the first guy anywhere near oh, me. Oh, I would have, yeah, I would have <laughs> retaliated, know? 100%. Yeah, and then that guy's going to end up dead. <laughs> you know, like in the Tristan. And then I would have been satisfied. I'm like, oh, thank you. But Marana, like, <laughs> she's so mature. She's mm-hmm. so mature. She just like sees exactly why he's doing it and is like, I'm not going to play these games with you. You, I am here for you. Like I, you're my person and I am yours. Don't play with me. Um, Can we also talk about the Witcher moment? Can we talk about the Witcher moment? So that's my favorite sex scene. (laughs) That is mine. And Kate, she never even says he's watching the Witcher. She's watching the Witcher. I love that we're all just like, no, she's watching the Witcher. <laughs> no, she is. When she says Henry, Ca- a blonde Henry Cavill in a bathtub, I was like, it's the Witcher. Scene immediately, you're like, he's like <laughs> yes. this in the tub. I picture it. I got it. She's getting turned on watching Henry Cavill, like we all did. And enter 
Tristan motherfucking Kane. And he's finally going to choose this moment to capitalize on her being turned on, watching this man. He ain't, and she's only wearing a t-shirt. He ain't pissed. Got nothing he's on. ready to roll. He goes down on her while she watches Henry Cavill. That's the first time he goes down on her. So hot. <gasps> yeah, I love Runix, it. What a I love, freaking scene. Okay. I was cracking up last night. I'm not going to lie. So like Holly said, she has 33 pages of notes. Yeah. And we shared these notes so that like, as because we've already read all these books, but we need to go back through them to get all these details right. It's a lot of freaking work, okay, guys? Like, never take these girls for granted. It's took good a full Lord. week for us to prepare for you guys. So if you don't listen to this episode, <laughs> I swear to God. Which, <laughs> this is from from here on out, we do only have single books, I think, but wow. Um, so I'm laying in bed last night, reading through Hallie's notes on my phone as I'm going through these books. Bless and yourself. Bobby's in bed next to me. And I'm cracking up at these notes because I get to to like some of this stuff like she'll write a note she writes a note but then she also has like commentary next to her note it's okay so (laughs) I'm trying to find this specific thing so yes so you definitely the notes on your on the the blowjob in the alley like (laughs) literally like <laughs> you literally wrote like you have like the say my name stuff like I am a super for Tristan like literally like it's um I think the witcher moment I have there's Marana Netflix and chilling catching up on the witcher it was just I was cracking me up then like the... enter Tristan motherfucking Kang ready I'll read it word for word <laughs> ready to go down on her for the first time while she's all hot and bothered over Henry Cavill men period take notes take period notes. <laughs> I was like literally reading. I was like I have to find the ones that I'll find them as we get to them but like there was a couple that I literally like read out loud to Bobby and (laughs) was like cracking up because of like your like I was like the things you would say after things like oh so swoon worthy and it's like freaking like blood play or something no, like it's yeah. like it's like literally Tristan holding a knife to her throat hashtag swoon <laughs> like, what exactly <laughs> oh god I have to find the, the ones that I was reading last night because the only things it's like um it's you can just, imagine like, really when, when I read imitate out my it. books what my books are like because well out of context it's like so she like goes down and she's or out into the alley and I'm explaining this to Bobby and like then she gives him a blowjob in the alley and then like and, and I'm like reading him then like Hallie's notes and like her commentary on this and Bobby's just like looking at me like Jesus like, Christ what <laughs> what yeah, and then, like so then she makes him come in his pants oh <laughs> my god when he That's- gets jealous of her so he ends up finding out that she's meeting with the annihilator slash shadow man he doesn't know who this man is he she comes home in a good fucking mood and he's like um excuse me i know where you were meeting with that man who is he like he gets jealous he slams her against the wall dry humps her marana makes this man come in his pants and he finally touches the boobs that's when he yes he gives her an orgasm just by playing with her nipples (laughs) and dry humping her and then he comes in his pants. And look. I have a girl crush on Marana, period. <laughs> I mean, she's, that scene for me, okay, like, look, the, the coming in the pants is like, it's hilarious to me because it's like, 
you don't know why like if you say it just on paper like that doesn't sound hot but it's literally probably one of like the hottest scenes because it's so emotionally charged he's got his, her hair wrapped around his fist and slammed against the wall and he's holding up by her ass with one hand and you literally well, tearing through all her other. brand new clothes She's finally getting what she wants finally getting out of these nips touched he's so <laughs> charged up and i love the way she like doesn't respond to him she's like okay you're acting like a caveman chill and i just went to meet him because he had some information i don't know who he is and he's just like you're making this worse it's just getting worse and she's just like oh well like this is what it is like it's like brat behavior and I I I love brat behavior I live for brat behavior um and that's what that was for me in that scene loved it okay I promise we're gonna get through this um basically the story goes on and um no but Dante fakes his death and goes undercover Dante fakes his death so he can go he can go infiltrate the syndicate it's important because Amar is exiled right she's still out in Shadowport and we're going to learn, like, some of these books are these books overlapping time-wise. Dante fakes his death, doesn't tell fucking anyone but Tristan. And Tristan doesn't tell Marana. So Marana is a hot-ass mess. And then Amara calls her. And Marana is, like, still in, in the moment, thinks that Dante's dead. And then Amara calls her and is like, is it true? And she's just like, I, I, I think, whatever. And Amara is just like, I'm fucking done. Amara knows Dante fakes his Amara death. She knows he's not really dead. Because he did it in the exact same way that, like, he had also faked his. Dante has a brother yes. who is on the spectrum, so we don't. Like he has he's not. Is what she said in the book. Yeah, so he's autistic. We don't know fully to like the extent, but he's like. Um, he's living in a home. There's obviously, a, yeah. There's a scale, obviously, a spectrum. My um, sister is well, my sister-in-law is autistic, so there's like sliding scale, and Damien is high functioning, but. You know, he's also being raised well, in a freaking terror house with a mafia dad. Right. So, and he's used against Dante yes. um, a lot. Lorenzo uses him against Dante all the time and is like, you know, whatever. So Dante fakes Damien's, not his death, but like kind of his death. He sets a fire to death. the home and then goes and confronts his dad and, and like plays off that like his dad did it, but really it was Dante and his brother's now yeah. missing. They assume he died in the fire. But he didn't. Dante yeah. got him out. So that's exactly what Dante did to fake his own death. Basically, blows up the club that that they were in slash outside of, and goes undercover. So we start getting information from the Reaper. Eventually, Marana finds out and figures it out that night. She's like, "Wait a minute! Like, you're not really dead." Um, and his screen name is the Reaper. <laughs> so the Reaper's screen name is the Reaper. Yeah. And which, I mean, I guess whatever. He's only texting Marana or not messaging Marana, but still, I don't know that whatever. Um, they end up going to meet up with him and I don't fully remember how everybody ends up there, but. So he ends up telling her like, meet me here at this place at this time, him and her interest end up going. And Dante and goes or Dante's already there. So you get this more in the emperor, which I have notes, but this crosses over. Um, Oh, okay. You find out more of the Emperor that the Dante Dante has been talking to the Reaper for years, like ever since Marana was like 14 years old, I think, because mm -hmm. the Reaper had, was watching Marana. Tristan and Dante go and see Marana at one point watching over her. And the Reaper ends up talking to Dante and gives him a phone number and says, one day you'll have questions, contact me. He's been in contact with the Reaper unbeknownst to anybody else. And we also find out that the Reaper has been watching Tristan and Marana yes. forever. He's always known that Tristan was going to be a key player in this. And 
so I'm just going to break this down real quick because we'll go into finishing up the Reaper. Um, they find out that um, he's the one that stole the codes. He it was never about the codes. <laughs> no, he hired the boyfriend, which this it's a little bit weird how many times the dad is kind of like luring matchmaker. He's bed. matchmaking. Yeah, he's matchmaking his daughter a little bit too much because he hires that first boyfriend um, who does does sleep with her. Like they do sleep yeah. together, confirm sleep together. And he's the one that dares her to make the codes, which was obviously the Reaper telling him to do this and all these things. And then he ties it all back and makes it look like it's Tristan so that they have to be together for this stuff. And so we find out the Reaper basically coordinate all this. He's been watching all of this. Marana, when she's in, in Tristan's room for the first time, finds pictures of her graduation. graduation yeah. Um, stuff like that, where Tristan has been like literally watching her forever. And the Reaper is watching Tristan watch her. Um, he was also at her graduation and watching Tristan watch her. And he actually talks to Tristan at the graduation. Yes. Like, aren't you going to go down there and say hi to her or something like that? Like, you know, one of those things. I and love the Reaper and Tristan. I didn't like the Reaper and the ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He's popped up a couple of times and you see that through like Dante's point of view and the Emperor that he saw him when they were really young and Tristan, like some guy was all ogling Marana when she was like 13 Tristan beats the shiz out of him and the Reaper is like scuttling across the end of the, the alley and, and that's, that's when, when he talks Dante to Dante him, the first time the card. using his number yeah so fast forward all these years later and everything we've already said now they're all basically the Reaper meeting calls up Dante to come in and they all it comes to a head basically we'll just fast forward to like everybody's, everybody's there. there we find out that Lorenzo Lorenzo was a member of the global syndicate at one point, the syndicate traded in children, and Lorenzo was in charge of getting all these children for the syndicate. Where things went wrong and they got kicked out of the syndicate was whenever he involved Luna Kane and Marana he's taking Montalio. girls from like his own, like right. he's, he's using the syndicate to take girls that are like gonna cause problems because yeah. now he's basically the from, alliance like, his own was working with the stuff. syndicate until the alliance fucked up and they all dispersed and this thing happened that we yeah. saw in the first book everything that we said earlier this basically is where we got this from about the daughter it all switching, comes out all here that, all that comes out here um he ends up the reaper kills lorenzo yeah. and as lorenzo is like falling on him ends up using a blade and kills the reaper yeah. Gabriel gets pissed because he's like, Lorenzo was the only one that knew where my real daughter, the real Murano Vitalio was. So then you have this he just snaps. breakdown he just snaps. between him and he Murano. He goes crazy. You have this like father, fake daughter come to a head. And, he, and she has just overheard and found out she's not Murano Vitalio. Right. So he is freaking out. Like, so then he ends up starting to say, you know, well, if I can never have my daughter back, then I'm going to kill you. And she ends up pulling a gun on him. And I loved Tristan in this scene. Um, Tristan has her, has also has a gun on Gabriel and he's telling Marana, like, don't do it. Don't, don't shoot him. Like, I'll do it. I've got him. I've got him. You don't have to shoot him. And then she ends up saying, did you, take luna kane because the reaper had yes. told her that even though lorenzo took most of the children gabriel battaglia was the one that specifically took luna kane and when he says yes she shoots him i love for some reason the fact that tristan wanted to take that kill for her so she didn't have to something and about she took that, it for him 
but then she did it for him and also for her like getting back at this man that abused her growing up like I think I just love that to me that was such an emotional scene between those two um here's the thing that doesn't get answered that I want answered after this is done, Dante's smoking. You know, he smokes for special occasions. This is a very good special occasion. He's for him. literally smoking as his dad's dying. Like, and I love how the Reaper is like, this was all part of my plan. I wanted to kill you as you watched your son watch you die and doesn't give a fuck. And that's what happens. Yeah. When all this is going down, Dante goes over to his father, Lorenzo's jacket pocket, and pulls out an envelope. We never know what's in this envelope. And I want to know what's in the envelope. I have scoured the emperor. I have scoured with just this question. We never find out where this envelope is. But it is later in the epilogue. Tristan and Marana both say that whatever was in that envelope continued to make Dante darker. And... We don't know what it is. At first I thought, oh, it's the it's the address for the house. But no, the Reaper gives Dante that earlier to yeah. go and find the kids. That's not this. That's not from his dad. So that's a question I want answered eventually. I don't know what, it does not get answered. Okay. Um, then you have the post-killing scene. Um, whatever. They form a new alliance. Dante's going to take over Tenebrae. Tristan's going to take over Shadowport. And Marana's going to basically be the new Reaper with all the information. The second generation. Second generation. Okay, guys. The Emperor. Let's talk about Dante and Amara. Book three. This is when I said I kind of waited for a second because I wasn't sure I was going to love it as much because it wasn't Tristan and Marana. I think but, this oh my is God, my favorite. If I had to pick gun to my head. I think this one may be my favorite one of the whole series because I just love okay. second chance friends to lover romances. I could totally see why that that's the case. For and you, Dante is just like freaking daddy. As much as um, Tristan does not talk, Dante's mouth, the mouth on Dante. And I mean, it's double meaning. He says the hottest things. And this is a guy it's pointed out several times. He just loves to go down on his girl. Loves it. Um, he so also says Amara, the most like romantic, which I think, lends to his character because we know that Dante, if he didn't have this life shoved upon him, he wanted to be an artist. He wanted to be a- star. 100%. Yeah. I think he is like a type four in a way. Like I think he has emotions and he almost says things to her that sounds like it came out of like a freaking- He's like a poet. Pride and Prejudice Emily Bronte book. Like- But like the rated X version because yes. it's like so endearing. It's so sweet, but then it's also hot because he adds in like the little extra super sexy things. Like does my little slut love how much I freaking love there him? There is one point, I think the it's world when she her. first hears him like talk dirty and I love what she wrote in Amara's inner monologue. And it's like, holy shit. He was a talker, a dirty talker. Yes. Underneath all those suits is a dirty talker. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Okay. So the emperor is like my, I think it's one of my favorites too, because what's so cool about this book is it goes back to when, so Amara is several years younger. She's like five or six years younger than Dante. Um, no, more than that. Yeah. But so she, it goes back all the way to their childhood and you get to see all three of them, Tristan included. I thought it was so smart. All their relationships. It's brilliant. I thought it was so smart because love. you get all of Tristan's background here. 
you get more perspective. You makes you love the books before I know. even more like retroactively. It's just bomb. And so I feel like you get to see, like, I, I love, there's this one line at the very beginning and it's actually Dante when he's 16 to Tristan, who's a couple years younger. And he's like, um, nice to meet you, Tristan. You're my little buddy now. Like he literally forces Tristan to be his friend and Tristan's like, uh, no, I don't have, like, he's basically like, absolutely not. Dante um, with Tristan is like a dog with a bone. Like, He's just like, I'm going to make you be my friend in this friendship. Dante, no matter what, is going to take whatever Tristan gives him and like still love him to death. Like, yeah, well, we'll talk about Dante here. We learned from his past. um, He has a lot of trauma. He watched his mom, uh, what he thinks is commit suicide. We know later that that wasn't the case. But for now, he didn't watch her. He found her. He found her. Damien was there. Was uh, there. He was a baby. Yeah. He has been forced to kind of uh, raise his 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 brother um because his dad isn't gonna do anything for his brother um not right. forced he loves his brother very very much but it's a that's something as a young kid to take on that's a lot um yeah he also his dad made his first kill to be his girlfriend of three years but tristan helps him very like funny. do all the things and that's also a big bonding moment for them that is really i think that scene is so powerful. It was I related to like the window scene, like talking about powerful scenes. Like that was one of the big ones I think for Tristan and Dante because one, Dante got to see how much Tristan was doing that he didn't know about. The fact that Tristan could look at him without even flinching and knew how to take care of a body, take care of the evidence, honestly does that for Dante so Dante doesn't have to. And I think Dante realizes how much he maybe didn't know Tristan was doing at his age. And then yeah. you also see Tristan finally accept Dante and what he's offering in his friendship because Tristan looks at Dante and is like, well, what are you going to do about it? About how he hates his dad and how his dad's such a monster. And Tristan's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And Dante yeah. kind of makes that decision of I'm going to play the long game and I'm yeah. going to eventually get my dad back for all of this and end it. And when he tells Tristan that, because we know Tristan is such a protector and especially of women, um, you really see Tristan say like, okay. And like, they kind of form that relationship of we're going to do this together from here on out. Yeah. And I mean, Dante's much more still like, um, you're going to be my friend and Tristan's still very much like, no, no, percent. but <laughs> Amara also sees them burying Roni and she doesn't know what happened, but she's like, how could he ever kill his girlfriend? And she starts pulling away. And this pisses Dante off. <laughs> Which I find hysterical that this 16-year-old kid, like, that's when he first starts, I think, seeing that, like, this girl kind of means something to him. Like, he cares why she doesn't talk to him. Yeah, Vin but I don't know why. ends up foreshadowing here. We're going to talk about Vin and foreshadowing in, mostly in this book because I think something's fishy with Vin and it's going to break my heart if it happens. <sighs> but there's at one point when they're younger, Amara comes to Vin and he's like, Vin knows that, it's very evident she has this crush on him. And he ends up telling her it's just a phase. It's going to pass. And basically telling her that it, he, it needs to pass because he's going to be king one day. And being king, he's going to be in this dark world. And you're scared of the dark, remember? And she ends up saying, well, what about you? Are you ever going to be too dark for me? And he says, maybe, or are you ever going to be in the darkness? And he says, maybe, but I'll never be too dark for you. 
So is he going to end up going into darkness? But will Amara be the one person that he won't do it for? Well, but see, I think I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing. I think you could look at it either way because I do think that Dante becomes dark. I think Tristan becomes dark, and I think I think they both like. I think what I love about this is that, and what I love about mafia romance in general is they all are fucking dark. They are killing people. They're all doing all this stuff. And Amara just loves them anyways. Like she, even who she is, she ends up growing up to become like a, a therapist and you know, all this stuff. She's her husband still kills people. Like he does good things, but he does still kill people. And she still has to be okay with that. So, I mean, like no, there is darkness. I, I think she to learns be to be like okay that. with the darkness. No, I don't either. So, okay. So 15 year old Amara and Ben. She ends up, yeah. She ends up overhearing a conversation in the house with Lorenzo and Leo Mancini. And they're talking about the syndicate and how they're no longer working directly with the syndicate because they fucked up this order that we already talked about. She overhears it. The next day, which I find sus. The next day, Vin has an idea to take her into town to go shopping for this formal attire because they're going to have a party at the house. Wait, that was Vin's idea? Yes. Oh, fuck. I have it in red. I don't remember that. Um, oh. a, truck, a truck of men pull up. They take Amara. Vin does fight them. Vin ends up getting his face slashed with a knife at one point. Um, and also we know who, who orchestrated that. So, yeah. okay, anyways, continue. Um, the ne- uh, so, yeah, they do all that. She gets taken. She wakes up in this room, and they are questioning her about Lorenzo Maroney, about Dante, about how to get into the compound what she knows about the syndicate and they bring up a, they show her a picture of a bald man wearing glasses and ask if she's ever seen him. This is Mr. X who, again, we're assuming you've read the series. This is Mr. X. They show her slash Xavier slash her dad, her dad. Um, she notes in that moment that he looks familiar, but she doesn't recognize him. Cause she's never, she hasn't known him. He, her mom yes. kicked her out, kicked him out when she was very, very young. Yes. Um, over the next several days, they basically severely abuse and torture Amara. Like nobody's business. Eventually. Including rape her. Oh, they do like so many things. It's so bad. Eventually Tristan is the one that finds her. And this is what we were talking about earlier about her, Tristan and Amara having their own kind of relationship here. Tristan is the one that finds her on the garage floor. He promises her in that moment that he'll, like, no one will ever lay a finger on her again. He gives her his jacket to wrap up in. And he ends up coming to the hospital, which I find even better. He is the first one, besides her mom, to see her in the hospital. It's not Dante. Yeah. It's not Vin. It's Tristan. Right. And he comes in and he tells her, she asks him again. She's like, you can't tell anyone. And that's when he says, I promise, like, I won't ever say a word. And he does it. Yeah. And that's what I was talking about when I said they have their own friendship and special relationship completely outside of Dante. Like they're friends, they have their own thing, which goes back to the Reaper and why, or the Predator at the end when Amara does tell, because Dante and Amara end up having a huge fight about this. But so Amara tells Marana all the stuff about Tristan's past, right? About how he killed his own dad for Marana. And Dante had already told her not to tell him that. And so then when Tristan and Marana come home from the graveyard, they're in a huge fight. Dante and Amara are in this huge fight. And it's because Dante's like, it's none of your business. And so she's in, in to Amara's point, And I agree with her. Like her relationship with Tristan has nothing to do with Dante. And she decided for a good reason. She's a very mature brain, smart woman. She's a therapist at this point, you know, and she got her master's degree and her doctorate. Like she knows what she's doing and she knows why she's doing it. And I feel like she doesn't owe Dante an explanation or needs permission to do it. We also, so again, with like timelines, that scene 
with Dante and Amara fighting, at that point, we know from the Emperor, Dante doesn't know what happens to her in that scene in the Reaper or the He doesn't know. He still all these years later does not know. know that Amara was actually sexually assaulted. Which as well. leads me to believe that he doesn't he doesn't even really know that like Tristan and Amara even have this they don't know he doesn't really have the secret yeah. at the time of that fight fair enough yeah you know what i mean so i just love that we can like almost see like the back end of it of like we know something that the main character doesn't know it's really fun. well even as far as we know even to this point even at the end of annihilator dante never learned that tristan knew that she ends up telling dante that it happened but he still never knows that tristan Just has always a secret yeah. Yeah. So, so which, they, I mean, like I'm saying, yeah. so. he eventually, you know, comes and sees her. They have that moment. Then Ben comes to see her and then Dante finally visits her and he tells her, or we find oh, out that he the killed quote. the men that took her. He ends up telling Amara, you're not going to walk through life. You'll dance through it. I'll remove anyone who tries to break your rhythm. I love that. And I feel like at 15, like, I wouldn't even be able to like fathom that, I mean, but I understand why she's fucking in love with him since age zero. Like, I get it. 100%. Uh, we also find out that Lorenzo, uh, right after her abduction, that's whenever Neria is sent. He, she is the daughter of one of his soldiers, a.k.a. Xavier. Um, and this is Neria. And the timing is, we find out why she is sent there for a purpose, and it's to spy um for the syndicate slash xavier <laughs> mr x um and then like through the years we move on several years until amara is like 17 dante just spends his time being there for her he helps her through her recovery he carries her out carries the her around Ugh, it's just it's so cute i'm not gonna i'm not gonna harp on it but it's just freaking amazing we get all the way to where she's 17 and they have their first kiss She's like almost 18. Okay, so relax, guys. Yeah. And he doesn't even kiss her on the mouth, though. Like, calm down, people. He So she hasn't spoken to Dante yet. She hates her voice, doesn't want him to hate it. She ends up finding him upstairs in his house in his sculpture room. And they have this conversation. He ends up saying, tell me something. Like, he's just, like, asking for her to, like, kind of talk to him. And what she says is, kiss me. He doesn't kiss her on the mouth. He kisses her on the neck over her scar. Yeah. <sighs> Jesus Christ, take me now. Take me now. And he ends up telling her, I will kiss you and brand myself upon your heart. Just make sure you're ready for me too. And then he leaves her. That's what I'm talking about. When he just like, he says all the things that are so hot, but they're also so emotionally heartfelt and they're communicating at the same time. Like, wow, he's literally a freaking, and he's huge and he's buff and he's sexy as hell. And it's just like a walking dream. He's a walking dream. Then he ends up taking her to therapy takes her to therapy, picks her up one day. She's talking to her therapist, guess what they're talking about? Having sex. So we ask her, oh, how'd your day go? How'd your therapy went? And she's like, oh, we were talking about sleeping with people. And he starts getting jealous. And he's, but he's trying to play it cool, right? And he's like, well, um, are there any problems? I didn't realize you were, yeah, I didn't realize um, you were sleeping with someone. <laughs> yeah, cool. Like, do, do I know him? Like any candidates? And she says, you. He yanks the car over to the shoulder grabs her and kisses her this is another little note i have he yanks the car over the side of the road and kisses her like a man possessed and it's glorious in all caps (laughs) and that's when he says you're the beat to my heart then it's her 18th birthday 
shit's about to go down. On the, she is quite a birthday, let me tell you. Um, it starts off with Lorenzo giving her an ultimatum. Uh, <sighs> um, he's basically going to pay for her to move to Shadowport. Get her like the get her into the best psychology program, cover all of her expenses if she leaves and never returns, and she severs all ties with Dante. And if she doesn't, he's gonna kill her mother. And if she tells Dante, he's gonna make his brother Damien disappear. This is what we're talking about when we say he uses Damien as like a pawn against Dante. So then that later that night, Vin comes to get her. He brings uh, her to Dante, who's at an art gallery, one that he wants to buy one day, and he shows her. The ancient art of, I can't pronounce it, Kintsuji. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, Kintsuji is, I, so I actually, me and Bobby, me and Bobby watch a show, um, like a pottery show. It's like kind of like a Great British Bake Off, but it's pottery. And it's actually really cool. And they like, yeah, they like fire it. I don't know how, I don't remember how you say it either, but. It's just so it's really cool. beautiful for Amara. And another a beautiful one of Rennick's metaphors. Metaphors. Yes. Um, Again, you've read the book, you know what we're talking about. Then he gives her a pair of heels and they dance together. He tries a little something, something. She says, no, she's not ready. He is so supportive and like totally fine with that. The next morning, she decides she's going to tell Dante. Even about the ultimatum, ultimatum. even though, yeah. What does Dante do? He tells her to And he says he knows that his father would interrupt her rhythm that he promised she would dance through life to. So he knows he has to get her away from his father and then he has to do something with Damien. Again, Dante's playing the long game. He's playing the long game with his dad. But it's so long. I know. I know. So at this age, she's 18. Yeah, she's 18. She's in Shadowport. He's in and, and out of Shadowport. He is still finding Gilbert, who we talked about earlier. He ends up finding him in Shadowport, takes him to one of his restaurants. And as he's poisoning Gilbert, <laughs> um, he's questioning him about the syndicate. And he basically like saying, says, like, uh, he I don't know who they are. They're I don't know who they group. are, but my point of contact was, was Mr. X. And that's where we get the Mr. X from. Yeah. And he says, all I know is they're from some group or syndicate or something. Yes. Syndicate or something. And the, the swag of Dante being a killer is just chef's kiss. Like, he's this rich man that, like, loves his suits. He's prim and proper. But he's got fucking swag, okay? He really just kind of, like, when he talks about it, too, because, like, he, there's later on, he talks about, like, how he's going to, like, he's threatening Mr. Seeing X. And he's just, like, interrogation role. Ooh. he loves it i mean he's so good at it and he's just like Ooh. um i could do this or i could do this or i could put you or maybe it'll be an accident when you're going to the grocery store yes. i don't know i don't know and it's just like this the comedy delicious. the wit like it's because you we had tristan tristan's so rugged and like a man's man is just gonna like fucking kill you and ask questions dante's gonna play with you like He's going to play with you. There's a there's a reason why he has this uh, knack for getting information from people. He knows all these interrogation techniques. Um, it's just great. Um, so basically, later on, my favorite scene of the book, my favorite scene, hands down. This is going to be my one smut scene that I talk about in The Emperor. It's the freaking reconnection jealousy scenes. Are we surprised? <laughs> No, but I love that too. I love a big like emotional expression, Ugh. slam me up against a wall, whatever. Let's talk about Dante's love for Amara. So while she's in Shadowport, um, he's still watching her. Um, he's vetted her apartment and like all of her tenants. He's vetted her. <laughs> like 
<laughs> classes that she's taking, he ends up giving her a cat. He and, drops it off so she can find it because she's because alone she's by herself. And he doesn't want her to be lonely. I can't, this man. So then as he's watching her, she ends up going on a date. It's a day from hell. They're at a club. He tries to kiss her. She gets pissed. She goes outside of the alley. Who's waiting for her? Dante motherfucking Maroney. And he's looking at her possessively. And she's pissed. Like, for leaving her, for showing back up and having the audacity to even look at her the way he does, for making her love him. She's pissed. She shoves him. And her screaming at how he didn't fight for her. And he tells her, I fight for you every fucking day. Again, he's playing a long game. But, like, still. So then she tells him, you've got to move on. Like, if we're not going to be together, you've got to leave me alone. You've got to let me go. got to let me go. Period. He tells her, oh, he ends up telling her, the only way you go is when my heart stops. I can't with this I man. I know. I can't. This is what I love. I love it when it's like, I know I should leave you, but I'm never going to. I, like, I know what I should do, but I never, ever will. So just get that out of your head now. Yep. And so they end up, they, what they end up doing is having this like long-term relationship where like she, he basically eventually ends up telling her like, I'm trying to do all this stuff. I'm eventually going to bring you home. I'm playing the long game. Like you just got to wait for me. And so they just end up meeting for years. Like it ends up being like six more years. I think it's of like them six just, or seven years. They have this relationship just, where he just kind of comes and goes when he can. Yeah. He just randomly shows up until he'll show up and like freaking they get busy. They do all this stuff. What I love that they always do is when they do get in fights, they always like end up talking it out while they're having sex. Like he'll tell her why he's mad at her and he does it multiple times. And she says her things back. The end scene, whenever they, he finally like finds out that like, again, we're assuming you read it. She was pregnant, but he doesn't know it yet. And then he finds out. And then that, that scene where they have a sex in his sculpture room and he's like pissed and he's like, I'm going to take it out on you and you're going to take it because I'm pissed at you. And she's like, well, I'm pissed at you. And I'm just like, this is my crack. Yeah, it is. It really is. So long story short when we talk about these overlapping timelines so amara and dante they grow up they have those years where she lives in shadowport and he just goes and sees her when he can't when he can amara also during this time because tristan has his place in shadowport which tristan has his place in shadowport so he can just buy on marana right um let's be honest but (laughs) yeah but that amara visits him and they hang out sometimes and which I, i love and dante ends up getting a place in that same apartment so he can spy on amara and um they have all these years where that's basically how the relationship goes and it's hard and it's heartbreaking to her every single time he comes and then he leaves and they still pretend to like date other people but they never sleep with anybody else and yeah, she you know, ends up so saying, they have like, that for every years time he leaves it takes it chips away little pieces of her yeah and, and it kind of just goes like that through this like time montage that runix has built throughout this book and so Amara does all her stuff. She gets her, her degrees. She becomes a therapist. She sets up a practice. She's doing really amazing. And then we see this overlapping timeline. So when Dante fakes his death a couple of weeks later, she already knows she's pregnant. And she's like, I can't do this anymore. We, you know, like, um, like I can't play these games with him. I'm done. I'm waiting for him. If I didn't have a baby, maybe it'd be different, but I'm going. So that's when she takes off and where she goes is Los Fortes. So when she gets Los Fortes, she's actually the first one to meet Alpha, um, Alpha Alessandra Villanova. And he's, you know, the one that runs Los Fortes, that area. Um, he's going to be the finisher. She goes down there. Dante eventually goes to find her. They both get kidnapped again and come. We eventually find out Miria, Miria planned this whole thing for her to get kidnapped and she plans it to be extra cruel 
for her to be taken back to where she was originally taken to when she was kidnapped. So now they're back in Shadowport or Tenebrae. I'm not sure, but they're back in that area. Um, kidnapped there. And it's traumatic. She ends up losing one of their babies. So they had twins. She ends up losing one at the hospital. That um, scene where they, they get away. taken and she wakes up in the warehouse again. That scene has so many layers that I love it so much because it's scary and traumatic. You have the anxiety from Amara. You have Dante slipping into an interrogation role and being scary as fuck. But you also have this hilarious, almost like an old married couple banter between Dante and Amara. That is it's amazing. fucking hilarious. It is. It's again, it's like that same kind of vibe. It's not the Mr. And Mrs. Smith vibe, but it kind of is because kind of she, is. it shows how much trust she has and faith she has in him to get them out of the situation that she's able to, he pulls her out and she's about to have a panic attack because she's waking up where, you know, all this trauma happened for her. And he like helps pull her back from that, helps her get her mind about her and tells her like, I got this. You think I let them, like, you think this happened on accident? I let them take me, baby. Oh, okay. But wait, you had your one favorite sex scene. Yeah. I gotta talk about my... <laughs> She's in Los Portes and she is sleeping by herself. Ugh. And now she starts having this amazing sex dream about Dante going down on her. Cause it's his favorite thing to do. He loves going down on her. So she's having this amazing dream. And then she starts, he starts saying like, wake up Amara. And she's like, no, I don't want to wake up. This is the best dream. And then she realizes he's actually going down on her. He's actually fucking there. I and I love it because it's like, even still, they're still mad at each other and he's so mad at her. But he just cannot um, stop eating her fucking vagina. And I I love a man yeah. that does that, okay? Okay. And so I think that's probably one of mine. I mean, I'm very pissed that they get interrupted and this is when they get taken. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what confused me about this was the guys that kidnap, they come and they tell Dante she was just collateral. We were taking you and she was, we brought her as collateral to get stuff out of you. But then at the end with Miria, Miria says they were just supposed this is to take where you. I get confused. Yeah. So, so it's like a little bit confusing. So Miria orchestrates this whole thing. So also in that hospital scene, we get more Vin foreshadowing. Oh God. Marana <laughs> ends up like telling Dante that she flagged two calls right after Dante left for Los Fortis and one was oh, made yeah. by Vin and the other was made by Miria. We already know what Nerea's fucking doing. Rana hesitates and says that she thinks the call Vin made checked out. He was in Shadowport, so she kept an eye on him, but he's been acting cagey. So I've I told you before, like it would it would be very confusing. So also, Dante sends Vin undercover, right? At the end of this book. Or is it in finish? Yeah, so at the end of this book, or toward, not the very end, but they end up eventually getting to Mr. X. And it is revealed that Mr. X is Xavier. And actually, we find out a lot from Leo at the engagement party um, before Leo dies. Um, we get the story behind her abduction from Leo at the engagement party. Leo finds her and says he's going to be killed tonight, but he has to tell her something in order to redeem himself. And he tells her yeah. that 10 years ago, she eavesdrops on the conversation, but Leo and Lorenzo were affiliate partners of the syndicate. And Lorenzo tried to ship them the bad batch. The syndicate told Lorenzo just do damage control, stick to the transport. He tells her that her coming to the compound with Dante 
has made some people high up take notice. And he tells her about the handler they had during the alliance, which is Mr. X. And while they met with Mr. X, um, basically the same thing happened to Dante's mother, Talia. She overheard their meeting. Um, Leo tells her that Lorenzo had grown to love Talia and wanted to protect her. So they kept it quiet. The syndicate heard about this because Mr. X was also a soldier for the Tenebrae outfit at this time and was also- They implanted them. That was like something they did. The syndicate always implants people within who they're working with. That was Mr. X. Which is, it was Mr. X. Now it's Miria. Yes. Now it's Miria. Right. So- What if it's also thin? Don't, I don't want it to be. So Leo tells her that Lorenzo had grown to love Talia and wanted to protect her. So they kept it quiet. The syndicate hears out about this. So they end up sending in Mr. X, the spy, goes to her studio and makes his mom slit her wrist while holding a gun to Damien's head. This was to teach Lorenzo a lesson and keep him in line. Um, After this, the spy got promoted in the syndicate and became Lorenzo and Leo's handler. When Lorenzo and Leo caught Amara eavesdropping, they reported it to the handler, which is Mr. X. Then Leo was shot in the head. Um... Marana, right there on the spot in front of Amara. Right. Marana calls Dante Raptor. This is like, we found Mr. X. Le- Neria led us to him. So they go to find Mr. X. And Mr. X tells Amara their first order was to kill her when he saw her beautifully broken. But he had chosen to let her live. Which is a borderline worse. Oh, her I mean, talking us, about but... how her own father could call her beautifully broken <laughs> was like sickening. Um, but he tells him the syndicate is made up of most powerful people in the world, with ties everywhere. Dante asks him why he took them to the warehouse. This is where things with Neria get confusing. Yes. Okay. So this is where Mr. X tells Dante, I was coming for you. She was collateral damage. Now, finish what you want to tell about this, and then we'll talk about the Neria thing. Dante I don't asks like, them why they process. took uh, them to the warehouse. He tells them it was a place that they had started using a few years ago. Amara wasn't supposed to be taken. But his men thought she was collateral. Amara then like to get him to talk. Revenge, she just kneecaps out. Um, she tells him that basically this is a badass bitch for Amara. She ends up telling dude. Amara leans into Woo! something so new in her, and I think she's really empowered by what she went through with Dante, but also like watching this side of Dante. Right? She's getting to watch the interrogator but side of Dante. Also, she's pregnant with a child, and her dad is sitting here threatening that one day he's going to come after her kid and do the her exact kid. same yes. thing. And so she literally, she, she gets mama bear mode on. Say, yes. She ends up taking control of the entire meeting. She's like, here's what we're going to do. You're, I'm going to let you live. You're going to track down Luna. And then you're also going to help us get Vinny, one of our guys into the syndicate. Yeah. And so that happens. Okay, so all that happens. That's what they decide to do. Vin goes undercover. And we love Vin. That's why we keep saying we don't want him to be Vin. We don't want him to be an implant, all these things, because he's literally been her her best friend, Amara's best friend since the beginning. I honestly thought up until this, I really thought the finisher was going to be Vin's book. I, did I thought this I was going to go was like his own book. Yeah. And so I thought honestly, you know, Vin like, was going to be the one that found Luna and it was going to be Vin and Luna. I did too. I totally thought I thought it was going to go that way. So that's why. Like, until the Annihilator came out, I've never considered any of this stuff with Vin. Yeah. I never thought about it that much until the Annihilator. And I don't really know why. Then we get the Neria showdown. So Amara's up in this room. Neria shows up. 
who has been trying to be her sister for all of these years. And then she's basically like a psychopath and she attacks her, says I'm just like, she's basically jealous of everything. Again, it's another character that I feel for because you- Okay, but we you, talked about this in real time. I know, you get into where you find out Neria's past and then she's forced to come spy on Amara and she sees and everything that Amara's getting, great which life. we know Amara does not live a charmed life. She goes through some shit. No. But compared to what Miria went through, she's seeing Amara getting this happy ending that she's never going to have. And this is what ultimately leads her to wanting to torture and kill Amara. Well, so um, she tells Amara, I or orchestrated, so this is, again, in direct conflict with what Mr. X had just told him. Miria says, I orchestrated this. It was this always about I you. Had you yeah, it was about you. I had you taken there. And I had you taken there specifically so that it would be extra traumatic because I know that you would take were taken there the first time. So I don't know sense, why her dad, aka Mr. X, wouldn't have told that part about Neria unless he just didn't want them to know yet that Neria was a spy. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming he didn't say anything about Neria, so he didn't out confusing. her. And then also, but also this adds another little piece to the Neria thing. How you want to have empathy for it? I'm like, but look, she knew about what happened to Amara when she was young, obviously, and she still thinks her life is so much better. And I get similar bad things happen to Miria, but what you have in a mafia romance that's so close to like real life is like, dude, not everybody is salvageable. We can't save everybody. And some people like some deaths, like they happen and I they hurt. And it wouldn't be- I remember texting you reading this and I was pissed because yeah. I wanted yeah. Miria to somehow like you were- turn good. Be redeemable. I well, wanted, you didn't, you didn't I like wanted, the sister killing yes, sister. I was like, no, like I want, I get, I get her story now and I want her to like spare Amara and like that can be her redemption. And Lex literally was like, well, that's not life and everything's not tied up in pretty bows. And I was like, well, you just schooled me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just like, for me, it's like not everybody can be redeemable. And if like she had been, I don't know, to me, it's like, yeah, we just, you got to let some of these things have to have their true full ending and full story it's not a perfect don't world feel good. <laughs> yeah and things don't feel good and that's part of what makes um uh remix's writing so good and then we get this yeah. epilogue of the shadow man who's at the wedding of dante and amara and he's watching it he says he's gonna give them a week before he leaves them more breadcrumbs because they're finally ready and it's time yes and so also again more overlapping of timelines so this is going to lead us into the finisher which is the fourth second the fourth book and um alpha who we met when um which is los fortis you meet him in the emperor because he meets um amara come to find out he is dante's half brother yes and so he the timelines overlap here he's at the wedding as well with his Never. girlfriend who is going to be or his wife, wife. Zephyr. Yeah, again, who, we assume we read this. It's marriage of convenience. We know they're married. For the sake yeah. of time, we're just honestly not really much with Zephyr and Alpha's actual like love relationship. It's just to get to Zen, I feel like. So let's just we'll go there. <laughs> I feel like if we can't we for the sake of time, we can't explain all of the entire love story, especially if we're already going forward on the assumption that you've read it. Otherwise, you're just getting a shit ton of spoilers um, like we're basically telling a, you the story of a girl from bucking her but that's fine <laughs> I just so, so, yeah i'll put celibate because apparently he can't get busy without snapping bones um, Runex, i want to know where you got big, that from big big i want to know where i asked hallie 
If you're I listening, I want to know. I want to know. I asked her before you even started, do you think that's actually possible? And her response was she had to get it from somewhere. <laughs> so Runing, you got to tell us, is this a, like a story you researched on the internet? Did you just make this up out of your brain? Like, I need to know I more. I mean, it sounds plausible, but th- how big he is. Look, Bobby, <laughs> my husband's a police officer. He has spent a lot of time in like, like randomly in the hospitals and stuff like that. And so he is like, there are some wild ass things that people come in there for and sex related things. That's what I'm saying. And I, I, I don't think it's too far reaching if you Google sex injuries. I feel like this might be on the list. And like, I'm not talking about like you have osteoporosis and you're 90 and you shouldn't have been doing no, it. No, I'm no. talking about you are a fit woman <laughs> Healthy who woman. just got F so hard. You broke a hip. <laughs> you broke your hip. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I don't even know. Sorry, anyway. I trying to get that in there because that was the most like, oh, moment with Alpha of the entire book for me. Um, but basically with Alpha, Alpha marries Zephyr. Zephyr's sister is Zenith, who was adopted. Zenith, again, you've read the book. Zenith is the real Morana Vitalio. And you- She's 50-57. She is 5057. We learned this from Hector, who is Alpha's right-hand man, who's also the killer in the book. And someone in the syndicate, which we know we get, we actually learned from the Annihilator too. We get confirmation. I was going to say, why don't we just kind of weave those yeah, two together? Yeah, we'll weave those two together. Um- at the end of the finisher, Hector gets away after he kills Zen, and you see him pop back up in the Annihilator. That's where this crosses over. Hector was contacted by the syndicate to because they found out that he was close to Zenith. The syndicate has been looking for Zenith five zero five seven. They don't name their they don't name the kids. They provide them with numbers. It's five zero five seven is Zenith's number, aka the real Morana Montalio. They hire Hector to retrieve her and bring her back to the syndicate. Things go Which, to me, it's kind of crazy how much they like work to find these girls when they take off. Okay, I'm but like just I think go. in the next book of the Syndicator, you're gonna find out why exactly the Syndicator wanted Zen so bad. Yeah, because he really was like working hard to get her in back. In the Annihilator, when they're questioning Hector at the end, he says, um, like for years they had been looking for Zenith and the reason why the syndicator, the, the now main guy leader was, did all these things to Luna was because Zenith left her behind and they knew that they were friends. And so it was like a way to punish Zen and to maybe bring her back was to do these things to Luna, which we know Zen never goes back. Zen ends up, you know, Zen dies at the end of the finisher. And Hector Um, tells Zen, like you left your friend behind. Yes or whatever and so that's like so with with the finisher Hector works for Alpha he's also a serial killer um he's been killing women and framing trying to frame Alpha for it basically take him down because he grew up on the streets just like Alpha it's the same thing as like a Neria thing he's super jealous yeah and, and he's so he's like <laughs> yeah and he's psycho though obviously so like he's not he's killing people because that's or women because that's what he wants to do and he's killing you know prostitutes and stuff like that he also happens to be part of the syndicate um, and they spend a good part of the finisher, basically, like at some point they're trying to find him. Um, you know, Dante and Tristan and their now families all come down here as well. Um, we didn't mention this in The Emperor. They find the Shadow Man leads them to it, leads um, Dante and Tristan to a house where they find these eight boys who have been kidnapped and held there. They find all seven of, they find seven out of the eight boys' families. The eighth boy, Xander, eight years old. It. 
they have nothing. They can't find a single thing on him. So Tristan ends up taking him home with him and Marana, and they've essentially adopted him by the time we get to the finisher. Um, so are we going to weave finisher and annihilator together? Yeah, let's go into annihilator. Okay. So um, in the annihilator, so the annihilator has a lot of uh, back and forth with timelines, but basically, as we know, the annihilator, aka the shadow man, aka Dane, has been watching Luna for I think it's been like six years. Like we know that the first time they met, Xander is Luna's son. And she's just gave birth and is running out trying to escape. She ends up finding the shadow man in the woods. She ends up giving the shadow man her baby and makes him promise to take care of him. So he does. Which bonds him to her because he's like, holy crap, you trust me. And he's he's he someone has saying, no feelings. Like, yeah, I, I have no empathy. I can't empathize with anybody. I never have emotions. But for her, because she em- emoted so many. She's that, such a strong. That, he's she very. Would, she would trust me with her baby. He like latches on to her. hooked on to her. Yeah. Um, like a true psycho. It's fine. It's good though. It's a good psycho. So. So he's basically been following her alone, along and been protecting yeah. her, killing everyone that tries to buy her, harm her until it gets to a point where the syndicate starts using her in even more brutal ways to get the shadow man out of hiding so they can take care of the shadow man. Because he keeps killing. She's worth a lot of money. He keeps killing every single person that buys her for the night at these auctions they do. So here's something else that stood out to me. This whole time, um, through all these books, we've been talking about kids. They cannot kids. They cannot kids. And now we're seeing in the Annihilator, you don't really see anything about kids. You just see sex trafficking. You just see this auction. So that to you is kind of like they take the kid. I like, think you get it from Luna and her point of view. She ended up telling you her backstory of like from three years old, she was sitting in this dark closet. They they separate her, and then for years growing up, they train her. They train these kids to be basic sex slaves to the men of the world and in this evil syndicate so every time she gets taken so she'll get purchased by someone and then taken back to somewhere and every single time he there's no forced entry there's no hand-to-hand there's nothing he it's long long range shot or a poison or something like that that there's no mo he has no mo whatsoever but every single time whoever buys her ends up dying and yet every single time someone still buys her and every single time they still die and every single time we know he shows up and gives her like clothes nice or whatever clothes and a black rose <laughs> yeah and so he's been doing this game with her for all these years and you see this love um, hate bitterness with luna and which him. is how i felt about him for quite a um, while too because i was having a very hard time well you have to understand he's like he's giving her hope consistently but yet he's never actually taking her out and, and yeah exactly so it's like and he's part of the syndicate yeah. in the beginning so like she loves oh, oh, him oh. in a way that like he's always there for her but then also it's it's such a mindfuck it is such a mindfuck for luna and i do yeah. think runix did a very 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 good job of writing luna and her character yeah and it was hard there were times when hallie and i both were texting because we this was when we did read at the same time and and it was funny because you're like go on this journey and you're like i don't know about this or i feel like this or and i was feeling frustrated feeling angry feeling i don't know if i like him and and all these things and like you know this this book we i had originally thought it was gonna be the last one and so then like i had a lot of built up on it so then i'm getting like frustrated and feeling all these things and then it's like so funny because then by the end you're like fuck everything i thought i knew like and like for 
like seriously forever yeah. doubting Runic. Like screw me forever doubting Runic. Like she knows exactly what she's doing. Um, so in the finisher, um, like we had said, I don't know exactly how that's going to come into play more, but the main connections from the finisher to the annihilator were just that like Zenith and Zephyr were, you know, adopted sister or whatever. Zen and Luna and were best friends. Zen and they Luna were, were best friends in this place because they were taken uh, at the, the same syndicate. time. They were best friends as they were trapped inside the syndicate. And Zen runs away and she ends up getting adopted by Zephyr's family. And she gets her. Um, I want to know more about Zen and who who helps her. I don't, I don't, I don't, we know it's not the shadow man, but she ends up having like her record sealed at one point. And like, you would think with who the syndicate is, they would have this, these, she ran to the cops is what it said. They would easily be able to like, they're in the cop. They have find her things. Like, I think there's going to be someone out there that did more for Zen on the back end. And we know it's not the shadow man because he was just kind of learning all of this too. Um, So that's another like question mark I have. Um, we also get at the very end, Hector is very prevalent in the Annihilator, but he's always called the bald man. I actually had to go back and look in the finisher of Hector's description. That's how I made sure it was Hector. They're both bald. <laughs> um, but it's also confusing because Xavier, Mr. X is also bald. So I was like, who, where the fuck is he at? You know, I was very confused with all those people. Um, Basically, the shadow man at the end has been hunting down all these people that he ends up getting Luna out. Um, what he does for her, I just can't. Like, he ends up bringing her to the mountains. Uh, long story short, he has, like, everything under the sun for her to learn things about herself. Like, she's never really been outside. She's never really known where she's been in the world. She's only known this life. He has her, like, an own room where she can, like, try all these different hobbies and, like, get to know what she likes. He provides her with a therapist to work through all of her things. He ends up later on, she finds out that he put the house, he had the house built for her and put it in her name. They're also married legally so that anything of his is hers if something happens to him. Like, this is where yeah. I was like, okay, fine. I love this man. Like, okay, fine. I know. It was hard because, okay, there's there a lot of stuff happens to her that you're like, why did you not just take her away from this? Why did you save her? And, he, and she even kind of asks him that. And he's like, it wasn't time. And to me, that was just like, oh, like, what do you, like, how, how, how can you, like, let this happen? And, like, how did you not, like, break or whatever? Um, and he won't, so the whole time she's going by Lila. She doesn't know anything about herself. Mm -hmm. Lila's the name that they, like, gave her or whatever. And, she doesn't know who um, she is. She doesn't know she's a brother at this point. She's been kidnapped and living like this for three years or for since she was three years old. So she doesn't even know how to do anything. She doesn't know what she likes. She doesn't know yeah. anything. And he literally gives her this whole room in the house. That's like just filled with Find yourself. Um, like, there's like art, materials, like all different activities you can try everything under the sun. And he's like, like find a hobby. Yeah, and it's like, if it isn't what you like, then let me know. We can bring in other things. Um, I love the way Runix wrote uh, the tea with mm -hmm. Lila slash Luna, Lila Luna. Um, I think, the way that I love that Lila gets into cooking uh, of all things. I love or it. Luna, whatever. I so she starts getting into cooking, which is like, oh, she's a cane. That's why the canes yeah. love to cook. And so I love that they end up having her son. Yeah. Um, and that's all from the Shadow Man, Dane. This is he set this up. What I don't understand though is he took Xander 
and he told her he put her him somewhere safe then how does he end up in this shitty house so because um later on at the very very end he's going back and telling her more about his past and he says so for the longest time dane doesn't tell lila who she is or her brother because he is terrified that she's gonna then leave him because he is obsessed he is obsessive and he is a stalker like this is his he she is his he's not gonna let anyone play with his toy like that's how he works finally at the end when she goes to see hector hector spills the beans that dane knows about her family and her brother and they have this big blow up because she's like how could you not tell me so then at the end of the scene he ends up telling her that when you gave me Xander, I put him originally, he had this woman watching over Xander, taking care of him. He ends up then putting him in the orphanage with the syndicate in the house just so Tristan could find him. Just long enough. Just long enough okay. to get Tristan and, and Morana to find him. So he wasn't there the Got whole it. time. Okay, so that was like another thing that I was like, why did you do that? Okay, let's break it up and give me a fun moment. Um, tell me, tell me about, <laughs> can we talk about one while he's taking care of her? He is a parkour runner and he wears night vision goggles. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, also, another funny moment. Um, let's talk about whenever he smacks her in the face Slaps her on the forehead with his dick <laughs> I can't. I can't in the same that. scene like, that he's also using an ice dildo for her sore vagina and in the same scene that he's professing his undying love for her that's like all that's said, all the same scene. he's not normal i mean nobody thought he was like look what he's been doing this whole time look this is why he only i want to know runix again do you have a nice dildo did you google ice dildo I know they make glass ones that you can put in the freezer, but Great. I don't, that's awesome. not what he did. That, you answered so, my question then. But also, can we talk about the fact that he has a Jacob's Ladder so that because of every sexual stuff she's been her. through, so this is a way for her to be able to feel something different, something to kind of set him apart from all the other guys. Him leaving her little notes in the morning, and one of the notes this was, by the like way, I got that piercing thing. for you. Romance. It's not one. It's all of them. There's Romance. several. Romance. You know, this is modern romance. Sean, why have you never pierced your dick for me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> why is it always here's a house and a life? Never yeah, here's a dick. Exactly. <laughs> why why am I not worth a bejeweled dick? I <laughs> thought I was. I thought I mean I would say you are. Take note. But also, um, I my one of my really, really good friends, Emily, she I'm eventually gonna have her on the podcast one day. I've been teasing it forever, but she is uh dating a guy that owns piercing shops and he does erotic piercings and he's had a few in his life and i always ask her if she's listening she's gonna die i always ask her i'm like because i've never been with someone that had a pierced penis and i'm like is it really like this mind-blowing does it make a difference and she's like i mean not really i mean sometimes you feel it like sometimes you don't and i'm like i need you on the show to debunk all these things we read well, this is what we had talked about before. Like to just be able to like take these things that we read in books, like it's going off a little bit, but like, you know, even like the Trisha Wolf books we read, like the Shabari stuff, like have somebody who in real life does this and then like ask them like, is this realistic? What is it really like? Yeah. Is this kind of, you know what I mean? Cause like, I want to read it. that. 
This is also why Lex and I also discussed going to a sex club as well and just having the experience. (laughs) So maybe one day we'll do that. I don't know. (laughs) That's another day for another episode. We will talk about that more on Trisha Wolf. Our next episode will be Trisha Wolf's book and we will get into that. Um, Yeah. But I, so. Back on track. Okay. Yes. Back on track. Has Bobby ever smacked you in the forehead with a penis? (laughs) When I read that. Okay, look at this again. This is where Lex like, immediately voice in. messaged me and it was like, um what the fuck did I just read? <laughs> um <laughs> he literally slaps her on the forehead with his, his dick to get her attention. Yeah. Okay, so she's laid out and he is I would like bite doing dick off. Her. <laughs> I would. I'd like do it again. Well, I'm shaking it rough for this episode. <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I literally, well, this is another thing, like, this is when I think it's hilarious, because, like, this stuff out of context, like, okay, let's just be real about this whole book world and all this dark romance stuff. This is an echo chamber of a different kind, all right? right. Like, this is, like, the stuff we're talking about right here is, the, and the people who are listening to it, like, we all belong to the same echo chamber yes. where, like, this feels okay. So, it this is, is totally hilarious normal. to me. <laughs> this is totally normal within the world we live, right? <laughs> But when you take it out of this world, like when I start telling my husband stuff, it's hilarious yeah. to watch his face, like in me to read, even just reading him Hallie's notes. He's just looking at me like, what, what are you doing? Like anybody can That's hear this. not normal. Yeah. And I'm like, it's great. It's totally fine. I'm, like, I'm like, great. I'm on a podcast, literally like my dream come true. And he's just like, and you're talking about what okay i have this quick <laughs> sidebar also the other day this automatically came on in my car bobby and i were going to um go to the driving range for a little while and i had been re-listening back to our akatar episode and we talk about farah and the blowjob <gasps> the war blowjob. okay so we have that whole part. so that was where it was at it comes on and Love so he Bobby. hears these, these voices of people talking about how like <laughs> blowjobs are so good, like in the sense of like connecting and also, and he's like, I like this. He yes. didn't realize it was me. And That's even funnier. He thought I was just listening to like a sex podcast. That's in the car. even funnier. That like, so then do it, you hear this, babe? Do you hear this? And you're like, yeah, that's me. Was I like, know. <laughs> yeah. He's all, yeah, I like this. But I'm like, oh, okay. So I turned it up because I wasn't even, even intending on like having him listen to it or whatever. But then he was like driving the driving range is like right by our house and he's just like oh my god that's you and I was like what Bob. I was like it took you four miles to recognize yep. your wife's voice and I'm talking about blowjob he's like it's all I was hearing like it's I was true though real they focused hear blowjob and that's just it like they're just focused that's all it. and I, I was cracking up he's like wow I'm really lucky I'm like I'm talking about blowjobs on a podcast and going to the driving range with you I'm glad you're realizing like how cool I he am it's the best of um, worlds <laughs> literally uh but anyways so i read that scene basically they had had what pretty rough okay so here's another thing we need to get we didn't talk about and then it'll lead into that she's been through like all this traumatic stuff right and so he basically decides the way to undo all her trauma is to like redo it but with him yeah so he does like all these things at one point, he, like, um, ties her up. At one point, he... Oh, the, the ice dildos, because she always said she didn't want to use toys. And then he does it, and... He uses toys on her. I love how she's like, did you really get an ice dildo? Because I told you I didn't want toys. And he was like, why do you even ask that question? <laughs> of course. Like, I also pierced my dick from, like, friggin' 
What are boundaries? No, there are no boundaries in this house. There are no boundaries. He ends up like spanking her. Then he ends up buying Moonflame, which again, you read the book. It's the maze part. He ends up buying that place and then takes her so he can show her what a real sex club is like. Like, what are boundaries? None. What are boundaries? Okay. And it's not like, I have an idea. Would you like to heal some of your trauma? No, it's, it's like, you're going to get in the helicopter and we're here and you're going to walk in. Here we are. Yeah. This is your healing studio. By the way, um, we're here. Which is part of, I thought it was funny because in the um, author's note, I got to find this here somewhere. Um, it's, it talks about this. It talks about like the, like the trigger warnings. Oh, it says sexual trauma is part of the story. And so sex is also used in healing and it works between these characters for development and growth, um, which I thought was so funny because then when, because you're like, oh, like, okay, like sex is used for healing. And you imagine that going one way. You imagine maybe that from coming from like Dante's point of view, you know, obviously there's sexual healing in that. Um, so you think it's going to be like that? <laughs> I wasn't like, no. expecting and this. I was not expecting this. And but I was I eating is, it up? Yes, hundred percent. This is not. I just want to be clear. Like this is not a criticism whatsoever. This is more of like a, oh wow, like you just took us for a ride. Now, I don't remember exactly the context at this exact moment of the slap to the forehead with the wiener, but it was literally like, hey, look at me, kind of a thing, or hey, give no, me your it attention. It was like eyes on me, whack. Eyes on me, yeah, <laughs> smack on the forehead. And so then it was like, wake up. <laughs> I think it says in there like he tapped her. <laughs> No. this man does not tap this man is a hundred percent or zero like there's no in between with this man i was dying because when you take it this is the thing like i said we're in the echo chamber when you go into these books especially with Rubik, she transports you so yes. then you come back up for air and you're back in the real world and you're like wait a second <laughs> he just slapped her on the forehead and i was like just going along with it <laughs> like yep um i also love how for a very long time throughout this book it's just him and the shadow man and then eventually you do find out his name is dane yeah so and we i was just like daddy the, dane. i know daddy dane dane blackthorn uh we get to at the end where they're with hector and all the shit's coming out we find out that there were initially five members at the top of the pyramid of the syndicate he has killed three of them we don't know who they were but it was people who had done things i think it was every man that we saw in the annihilator with the snake ring because that's what they signify like the high up but people. he didn't kill them they killed each other so dane killed three of them the remaining two hector tells him okay. one of them killed the other one now there's just this one guy in charge that's new to dane um then he tells them that the rest of the organization doesn't know about this change in leadership and he notes that this means ben didn't know about this either and Dane says that he's left breadcrumbs for Vin to go chasing after Lila's friend, Malini. So maybe Vin and Malini will end up together. I don't know. Wait, didn't um, we think Malini was Zen? Malini is not Zen. Malini, Malini leaves when like Lila's way older. She gets contracted okay. out. Zen is her childhood friend that ran away. Hector then tells him that he knows all this because of the man that contacted him when he worked for Alpha about getting Zenith. This is going to be the leader now. He's obsessed with Zen. He was pissed that she got, she escaped. She's been looking about him forever. We find out why the syndicate originally wanted to kill Marana, and it's because her dad was the Reaper. He had information. They thought Marana would have some too. We got that done. Hector tells him about this leader. He is an older guy who Hector hasn't met. He has another username called the Syndicator. He was the one interested in Zen and wanted her so bad because she escaped and left behind Lila. And then 
Dane asks, did he punish Lila for it? And he says, I don't know, but he did keep her with him for a while before sending her back out. This comes into play at the very end when this leader man ends up calling Luna at the cafe and he's like, do you remember me? And I'm going to, I'm going to end up finding you and taking you back. And I'm going to kill the shadow man. I'm going to kill your brother. I'm going to kill everyone. And I'm going to bring you back. And she remembers that she was with a man that was the first person that ever raped her. And mm-hmm. it's this leader guy. So we get those ties together. Later on, Dane is talking to her in bed and he starts telling her his story. And he says that he was nine years old the first time they came for him. And he oh, always yes. knew he was different. He's basically a sociopath. I mean, let's just call it what it yeah, is. Yeah, he doesn't have like that emotional. Right. Yeah. So because they couldn't, like he was killing everyone that would come near him in this orphanage. So finally the men brought in a little girl that was a year younger than him. And he couldn't kill the little girl. So then they started- and she using- was 50, 57. This is where I'm confused because it can't be Zen. That's why we're not they sure also Zen call, is. Yes, exactly. They also call this girl 5057. And Dane says that she had been begging Dane to kill her. And he wouldn't because he would never kill a kid. So then Dane says, in front of me, she killed herself. And after that, the syndicate lets him go, puts him out on the street because they know they can no longer- control him now that she's dead this is confusing i need to know who the real 5057 is right because we had thought that zen was 5057 we had been maybe the real morano vitalio is still alive and out there so we were led to believe that zen was 5057 in the finisher and then and she dies and 5057 is morano vitalio and and that she is the true Marana Vitalio. Then Dane um, says this girl that was with him that committed suicide in front of him was 5057. So the only reason, so then also we have, you know, Hector telling Zen, you ran away, you left your friend behind, all that stuff, which then feels like it's corroborated by the fact that you have Luna talking about how her friend left when she was little and all this stuff. So then you're like, oh, that's Zen. Now, later, when Dane is telling her this story about his own 5057 is the only piece of information that would negate everything else we just learned because the right. timelines wouldn't match up right, right for her to have been the age when he was that age, like for all those things. And this is where the murder boarding starts getting real fun and real crazy because here's my thing. And this is this, there is no evidence of this whatsoever. And this is could be completely off for tons of reasons, but this is just a random thing that keeps coming in my head. All of these women are missing. Like the moms are gone. Like, remember, I texted you, like, where are the moms? All the moms are gone. Yeah. We've talked and about this. The other Marana could possibly, like, the real Marana could possibly still be out there. And uh-huh. I'm just like, at the end of this book, at the end of The Annihilator, we're getting geared up. And I have a feeling now, this again, there's not a ton of anything to like put into this. But so we know that Lila Luna, Lila Luna, she can't have any more kids. She has said in there for now, she wants to leave Xander with Tristan. And like, she kind of feels like he's got a good thing going on there. Leave him alone, leave him there. But then there's this also like very much of a building at the end that makes you feel like it's like shit's about to go down. Yeah, they, and, I end up saying like he's gonna kill everyone. He's he's basically coming for them. And then it ends with Dane saying, and she ends up coming back to Dane and says, "I think it's time I go find these people. 
aka Tristan. And he now at the end, he says, I have two more days before with her before I bring her to Tristan. So we know that it's coming. But right. I'm like thinking something's gonna happen to the shadow man, and then Miss Pris Lila is gonna come get her man back. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> but I also think the I think the moms are gonna come into play. Like they could, right? And I mean <sighs> especially Marana, the real Marana Vitalio, Alice. Alice Vitalio. She was so upset and distraught over her daughter going into syndicate. She couldn't even claim this other baby. So like, what is she doing? Yeah. I know. And they could have like found each other. I know. If she is still alive. It's wild. Then we get even more information at the very end where he comes back and he tells them that at one point later on, when he's like 15 or 16, he goes and burns down one of the houses that the syndicate has. They end up making him an assassin, but they don't know that he is this boy they had because they only gave him a number. They never knew his name. So he's back in the fold being their assassin. He learns all this information. Um, And then he also learns, he finds a file. That's his file. And it says that he was bred to an underage girl by a man in his 30s. And she killed herself after giving birth to him and put him into a home. His sire was a leader of the syndicator at the time. And he calls himself the Prince of Hell. We theorize the syndicator is going to be his dad. Um, Dane's dad. Dane's dad. Yes. Um. And we didn't have any reason to think that wasn't the case, right? Because that's whenever Luna's like, I still don't understand when you did the fire, you got revenge on the men that directly hurt you and this little girl. So why did you come back and like continue this whole thing? For 20 years, he's been working to take down the syndicate. And that's when he says, I found my file and my father was the syndicator who he believes is the last one standing. Got it. And that's where we leave off with the entire series. <sighs> Man, that's a lot of stuff, you know? So we know the next, but the final book is going to have multiple point of views. I cannot wait for the Tristan and Luna reconnection. Um, I don't know how that scene's going to go. I don't know how Tristan is going to deal with the Shadow Man. I think Tristan's going to want to fucking kill him. <laughs> Well, and it's, it's, it's very interesting because um, I feel like if you just look at this whole thing, um, like we have the first three books, they, they feel very similar to each other. It's like, this all kind of makes sense. Same it's all the same, city, world. same world. Yeah. Then you go to the finisher. It feels a little bit different to me. It feels. The finisher feels a little left field, out of left field to me. Um, and I'm excited to see where she brings that back in. Yeah. And then we have this one and this one feels darker. And I have a hard time. Like when you say Tristan's going to like lose a shit, I have a hard time like seeing like these two Luna and Dane feel way darker than everybody else. And then, I think which makes Tristan's perfect sense. going to have to acknowledge that she did what she had to do. And she's no longer this baby little happy sister that he has anymore. And I think he's going to have to end up respecting that and, and then I do think eventually he will see that Dane did ultimately save her and bring her back to him. But I do, I can see where there might be a moment of like, 
severe tension. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I definitely feel like it's going to be interesting to even see like how, if there is that big, um, because if I'm Tristan and I've been talking to the shadow man, me and Marana have been talking to shadow man for this long. And why could he never just come and tell me this whole time that he knew where my sister was to me, that's where like anger for Tristan's going to come from. Oh yeah. Cause it was completely selfish. And then the Xander I mean, of it all, like Tristan now loves him so much as his son. And but then like, but I thought that Lila, Luna, or Luna said, I thought Luna said she didn't want to take him he away. Didn't, from- there's a scene where he, she's really pissed at him and she, he ends up spanking her to release all of this anger within her. And she ends up confessing with every spank that he gives her. She confesses like something that she's feeling or some insecurity or whatever. And in that scene, she ends up saying, I'm scared to meet my son because I don't want to take him away from this yeah. like new life that he has. But then at the very, very end, after the syndicator calls her and says, I'm hunting you all down, she and Dane then decide in two days time, they're going to go find the others because they have to let them know that oh, yeah, that's right. things are happening. I love this. He says, Dane says this to her, if there was any love in the world in if there was any love in this world of mine, Lila, it would be you. And she just like says his name. Um, and he says, I am darkness. He kissed her softly. I live it. I breathe it. I am it. There is no redemption, no emotion, nothing for me, nothing but you. You're the moon in my dark night, Flama. You are, you're the one thing in this black sky that can thrive when I swallow everything else whole. The stars don't exist in this space, just you and I. You need me to glow and I need you to exist. It's that simple. <gasps> like, poetry. Straight why poetry. Not Just straight up a poem, like literally. And then shortly thereafter, he smacks her on the forehead with his dick. So <laughs> just kidding. I love it all. I literally, she can't do anything wrong for me. No, I agree. Um, and it's one of the those things where it's like I said you go into this world you get so sucked in and like when you take it out of context it's like it's funny but it's not like wow goodness gracious even though the Luna and the shadow man Dane um relationship was a little more um absurd and darker and a little bit stranger Oh, and it's very it toxic, makes but it's sense like, when you go and look at their past. How are they going to end up like? Past. How are they going to have anything normal? Like, no, everybody's relationships in in these books, all of their relationships make sense for the context of which they come from. Yeah. Um, and I feel like you know, yeah, this the Annihilator couple, their their love story, the toxicness of it wouldn't work in the Predator or the Reaper, right? Yeah. It works in its own context because it is so dark and like she said like we're going here like buckle up she gave buckle you the up. trigger warning she gave you the, the author's note um it's very high up i have a very hard time because we just reread all these right like so then I, at first i was like oh the reaper is my favorite and this is a very close second but then i just did spent all that time with the emperor and i'm like okay like i can't even put the these emperor is in probably my favorite but and luna and dane's story holds because i love obsessive love i love it and it's not healthy. I get that. I'm aware, but <laughs> that's why we, we in the story, like you were saying, I, it works and it's beautiful. She just has created this world where each book gives you these insanely different, like love stories. So like, if you come into this world 
and you read the series and say you're someone that really loves like a Tristan, like you'll get that in full force. And then like you, but if you're a person like you where you're like, I want that guy emoting to me like crazy and all stuff like that you have a Dante. And if you're someone who like loves a, a nice, like talk, not nice, not nice at all, but like this toxic romance, but it's like, it's toxic, but at the same time, the, the lengths that this man has gone to for her. And it's the thing that's so crazy about it is it's not just for her. He is dismantling this entire organization. He is like creating like this whole world for her where she gets to have her family and, and like all these things. And like, it's, it is very like, it's intense. It's obsessive. Like you said, there's no other word for it. Dane is like that thing. I always see this like quote on like Pinterest and things. And it's like, why you love the villain is because the hero would like sacrifice the one person for the world, but the villain would sacrifice the entire world for his one person. And like, that's right. Dane. He doesn't give a yeah. fuck about anything else. Like it's whatever. It's all for her period. Mm-hmm. Period. The man was celibate for <clears throat> six years after meeting her. Like, come on. He met her and that was it. And immediately was like, no. And he, I think he's up saying like the others would, would never amount to you. So it was just a waste. And I was like, you perfect fucking man. <laughs> like, I know. Wow. And it's so crazy how in tune with her he can be, be without even having any of his own emotions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really cool. But she does this, this thing where she just explores all of these different relationships, dynamics, traumas, and healing. definitions and... of love and how to show love. There's not a really like I guess you could say the emperor and the finisher are the most straightforward yeah quote-unquote definitions of love they're still not by any means like normal normal yeah um I mean especially freaking Zephyr (laughs) bananas and like it's very interesting but well and it's so funny because she I would say of all of the things like she's the most relatable in the sense of like her trauma I think that was something that I do remember taking away when I read it the first time was like when you look at someone like she was like the lightest of the bunch (laughs) right and I feel like but I feel like the most relatable in a way too because that's what I mean it's lightest so then it is more relatable because yeah we can we can all relate to Zephyr of like our first true love and we lose it and like the links we would go to like get that back I remember that, that I remember reading that when she finally decides to give up on Alpha, you know, she decides she can't tell him who he is to her. She doesn't want to bring that trauma back around him. So she her just has to give up. State. Oh. I remember it just makes me think of like that when your boyfriend broke up with you in high school and yeah. it was like, it literally felt like the world was yeah. empty. And it's so heartbreaking. And it's like, like so relatable. Cause I mean, like I have not experienced the level of trauma that most of these people have. <laughs> and so when you see a character like Zephyr, it's like, I remember that so well. Yeah. So it's almost more like- I think like, that's why so many people love the finisher too. 100%. I think it's one of those books where it's like, it's in the middle of the series, which sometimes the, those books can be kind of more of like a, the point of them can be to give information to help you get to the next one, which is really where you're going to get the most of stuff. And I think that this one had a huge emotional impact because she they made she made Zephyr really relatable. I think it gets overlooked a little bit in the series, but I think like why like what you're saying like or it could have been overlooked in the series. I don't think there's any. I think you can't go wrong with any book in the series, which is crazy. Um, series is five freaking stars for everything across the board. We loved it. We hope you read it. I have read it if you listen to this, quite honestly. <laughs> if, if you haven't read it and you listen to this, 
How dare you? Like this, it's too much. Well, first of all, yes, go read it. And now you know everything. But also okay. like, I feel like this, it would make no sense. And it would be like getting lost in a maze <laughs> because it, it was wild. And we skipped like a lot of like the smaller details that do matter. But the main thing that we wanted to like get out was one, how amazing Renika's writing is. Um, two, how insane her brain is and must be pretty kind of exhausted at this point. <laughs> and three, you and I wanted to like actually sit down and look at all the facts together and start. We wanted to murder board this together. We wanted because to murder board see, this together. That's what this I have read. Is. I have read this series parts. I've read the Reaper and the Predator several times for the Emperor a couple of times now. And then I, I went back through the finisher and then through your 33 pages of notes, same thing with the Annihilator. And I still was sitting here like, oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. It's I still have so, so many much. questions and that's, I'm so excited for this indicator. I can't freaking wait for it. I'm excited to see the whole gang back together. Okay. So yes. So recapping is Ben good or bad. I'm really hoping he's good. I want to see where this goes. Cause he was undercover. I hope he pulls he like a resand. Like we think he's bad, but then plot twist. Plot twist. He's been good the so whole time. The Ben goes undercover in the Annihilator or the Finisher? I mean, I'm sorry, the Emperor or the Finisher? The Reaper, uh, the Emperor, Emperor. The Emperor. So we don't hear from Vin really in all of the Finisher and the Annihilator. And we know in the Annihilator, Dane says he put Vin on finding Malini. So I think okay. we'll also get where Malini is. And uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so Runix has said, so okay. Is Vin good or bad? I'm pretty, I feel, I just go ahead. Okay, you tell me. I think one, he's going like, to be good, but answer. I think I think she's foreshadowing some gray areas to his character. Okay. Um, who is the real 5057? Do you, you do not think it's Zenith? Or if it is, I don't know. And either way, both 5057s are dead. So I'm just like, I'm, I don't know. I'm just really confused over that. I'm because really I had said, what if she wasn't dead, right? I had said, what if they told him she was dead, but she wasn't? And they Isn't just like keep said? saying 5057, but it's multiple people. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, you Do you think the moms, any of the moms are going to come back? I think the moms are going to play some sort of role. And you think both moms, one mom? I don't know. What if they've got this like lady gang going on? I, <laughs> I think, I don't think Tristan's mom is going to come into play. I could, that's the one I don't think. I think she was so done with it all that she just... Yeah, whatever. Unless she wants to come back for Luna. Okay. And then, um, what was the other thing I said? Um, the oh, syndicator is Dane's is dad. Dane's dad. And, and we also don't know who Xander's father is, but I don't know if that really matters because she was raped so many times that, like, it is what it and is. And we don't think that Xander. Cause I had, I think I had posed the question to you. What if this, cause you, we had said the syndicator was the one that took Luna for a long time. For a couple years, but that doesn't line up with when she got pregnant with Xander. Okay. Cause I had asked that. I'm like, what if Damon's your like brother dad? I know, right? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but I do think there's a reason why the syndicator was so hell bent on Zen. On Zen. I'm sorry, I think Zen. more is going to come of Zen even after her death. Okay. Okay. I mean, there's not that's where we stand. That's where we stand. And we don't actually have a, a date for the syndicator or do we later this year? I don't know. I don't think so. I want to say oh. she said like 2023. How did you? 
Yeah, I could be totally wrong in that. Because I know she has Arcana coming out. This book will be live release, surprise drop at the end of 2022. No confirmed release date. Oh yeah, she's not doing the release date, confirmed release dates because she's of what happened. Live releases, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so maybe at the um, end of the year then, maybe we'll be back. Oh, I think it's time to wrap it up. Um, Remember we said we were going to set the timer for two, two hours. hours? Right. Uh, two hours so is just gonna... for Tristan Kane, so it's fine. Jeez. Well, guys, if you're still here, thanks for going down the rabbit hole with us. If you love this series, I think you're going to love the episode because I think we put together all the plot points for you and we spent a lot of time putting this together. So, Oh my gosh. Please enjoy it. Um, And if you think of anything that we didn't uh, talk about, or if you have an answer to one of our questions that we have that we just missed, let us know. Sign into our DMs. Um, Be sure to Follow us on Let's Talk About Smut. Let's Talk About Smut podcast and uh, the Well Read Likes on Instagram. Um, update for Taylor: she's doing very, very good. She's the best mom in the world. She's enjoying her baby. She will be back sooner than later at one point when we get her all situated. Um, she's enjoying her time off. Um, our next book, Lex and I are going to be doing is Lovely Bad Things. It's just one book. It really will be a shorter episode, I promise. Um, and it's going to be by lovely bad things by Trisha Wolf. Probably one of my top books of the year. I loved it. Absolutely. It was so good. So good. So we have that coming up. We're also going to start some author interviews in September. So be on the lookout for that one. Um, and other than that, I think that's all I have for you guys. So, I mean, honestly, we've like, there's no way we caught everything out of that series and we could never do more. (laughs) No, I could spend all day talking about it quite frankly. Um, so yeah, if you read the, if you read the series or if you've read it and you want to talk about it, let us know, get ready for lovely bad things, uh, next week. And we'll talk to you guys later. Yeah. Bye. Bye.